Welcome to Revenge of the Drive-In, the podcast where we talk about two movies selected from a list of over 1,700. Today we're talking about Suspiria, Dario Argento's original film, as well as Abominable, the film from 2006, which I guess is direct-to-video. Not entirely sure, I don't know that much about it. But hopefully we do have a guest that can talk a little bit about that. But hey, both movies are available, at least as of when we're recording this, on Tubi, so that's great news. I'm your host, Patrick, and I'm joined this time by a special guest. Hey, everyone. Uh, my name is Freddie. Thank you for having me, by the way. Appreciate it. Always happy to invite guests. And Freddie, you are from... Yeah, so I'm from the Goodnight Movie Club podcast and also Nightlight, a horror movie podcast that is found on all services as well. Brought to you by the Bloody Disgusting Podcast, podcast Network. Network. Yes. Which reminds me, we are brought... <laughs> I should have covered this. We are brought to you by the Grandma Sophia's Podcast Network. Me, I'm all about movies. I that's I live and breathe movies. That's all I do. So, and then of course, horror movies is all the backbone of what I do. So, right. I'm happy to be talking about these two movies with you. Right, and these are uh, for for you. They were both uh, your first time seeing them, right? Yes, and I'm surprised because uh, obviously, Suspiria is one of those like holy grail horror yeah. movies that is like beloved by so many people, and I'm not shame to say i haven't seen it <laughs> and i have not seen the remake as well but the this was on my bucket list too the remake's very very different i got chills from this movie so i'm gonna have to watch the remake so i mean we'll talk about it of course yeah for a long time this was i kind of viewed this as like the scariest movie i had ever seen and then i saw audition and um it, nothing scares me in comparison <laughs> to audition but uh yeah so uh what, is, what are your kind of initial thoughts on suspiria before we jump into it uh it is a gorgeous movie to look at in general i have to say it's beautifully shot uh has great colors and mm-hmm. i feel like you can pause this movie and just create a poster out of any scene and like you said it's one of the scariest movies i've seen in recent times especially because i'm constantly watching scary movies like at least minimum <laughs> once a week uh, i watched a scary movie and this one definitely got my nerves going and it was making me very anxious that's the big thing it's like oh it's like what's gonna happen next what's gonna happen next and then it just creates really good tension and i was actually mm-hmm. really surprised by that especially for a movie that's this old it holds up very well yeah it's not really a conventional movie in a lot of ways which is part of right. why you just you just do not know what's coming next i've seen this movie a number of times before it, it had been the first time in a while and i like knew everything that happened but i didn't quite remember the order everything happened so there were still moments where it was just like oh uh, okay i forgot about that or something like it's like wow this is awesome uh so yeah i still really enjoy it it has really good pacing too i feel like it's just constantly going there's always something about to happen so there's no relaxation ever in this movie which I, I really appreciate because it keeps the tension high for, for its runtime being like about like, a, I think, what is it, hour 40-ish? Yeah, I, n- I never even uh, checked. It's it's definitely under two hours. It's a movie on the short-ish side. And a lot of that is because there's no denouement. The movie kind of just ends, <laughs> which right. is sort of a... that's just cuts it, off. That's kind of an Argento thing, I think. I've seen, seen that in a few of his other movies where they just kind of tend to end rather abruptly. It's kind of a throwback to the old Universal Monster movies of the 30s and 40s that usually just like the climax resolution and then bam you know maybe like right. one little comedic scene of about 30 seconds and then we're on to the credits so yeah i do appreciate that too it's like here's the resolution credits done 
It's like, cool. Okay. I appreciate that. It's like the story was told. On here, I talk about efficiency in storytelling, you know, movie not taking too much time. And I think this is a pretty good example of that. Although the story itself is kind of, uh, you know, it's hard to hard to pin down at times, but agreed. So let's jump into it. The movie starts with Susie Banyan, an American dancer played by Jessica Harper, who has arrived in Germany in Freiburg, which is city i'm not that familiar with and she's arrived to study dance at some you know um ballet academy academy yeah yeah. but it's like right off the bat we're getting hit with some classic music and this is from the band goblin which was like an italian prog rock band they did the they actually did the score for dawn of the dead the george romero movie And um, they did some other, I think they did Deep Red. They did some other Italian movies, some other Argento stuff. But, you know, if you see this movie, though, one of the things that will stand out is the music. I This is probably my favorite score, or at least my favorite theme ever for a horror movie. I mean, there's so many great ones, you know, <laughs> Halloween, Nightmare on Elm Street. It's one of, those, one of those things that's like, it's pretty iconic. You can like... Now that I've seen this movie, if I ever heard that score again, I knew exactly where it's coming from. That's always a big thing. It's like, once you hit a certain, like, I guess, mesmerizing, uh, I guess, soundtrack, you're in. You're involved in it. Mm-hmm. And it's really good that it, like, it grabs your attention almost immediately with that music. And it's a little weird, too, as um, as Susie walks through the airport, because even though nothing's really happening, we're still getting this kind of sense of mystery and or tension, because it's like when, when her eyes are drawn to the, you know, the automatic door to exit, that's like when the music comes in. And then when the camera cuts back to her walking, then the, then the music's not playing. But then when, whenever it's focused on that door on the outside world, it's just got this really creepy music going and it's it's kind of weird and i could see someone maybe thinking it's a bit silly but i i thought it worked really well no i agree i I feel like a lot of the stuff that's kind of like unconventional in this movie just works really well and it feels like it just fits like this movie has its own identity and i love that because i don't think there's any movie that i've seen that's anything similar to this i can't contrast this movie with anything else i've seen yeah i actually i have a comparison for this movie and and it's really just it's the movies aren't that similar but i'm just talking about a movie that personally doesn't really work for me but the way i hear other people talk about it working for them that's how suspiria works for me and i've kind of joked about this before i'm not sure how much of it has made it into final edits of podcasts but i'm not a fan of the shining it just mm. you know it's it's one of those immortal classic movies it just does not work for me but everybody you know freddy maybe maybe this is you but everybody who talks about it seems to talk about like there's just this constant you know tension and even when nothing's really happening you're still really on edge and that's you know i I don't feel that with the shining but at least i feel it watching some movie because i feel that watching suspiria um i i I love the shining i'll be honest (laughs) i didn't mean to no 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 not at all you're you're totally cool i mean i love the shining a lot but i do like dr sleep better in the shining which is very interesting i i actually enjoyed dr sleep i don't yeah. remember liking the book but that was also so long ago i don't really remember. <laughs> that's fair it's a really both stories are really big books and stuff like that too uh-huh. i do see the comparison where it's like there's constant dread and there's a lot of movies like that too uh one movie i did in particular for the podcast is uh eden lake i don't know if you've seen it not a huge fan <laughs> 
I, I, I can't remember. Eden Lake and Lake Mungo. I can't remember which one I've seen. I think I've seen one of them. Lake Mungo is the, the paranormal one. Eden Lake is like the couple that goes into the middle of the forest and kids like just terrorize them for like which an hour one's and the, a half. Yeah, no, I haven't seen that one then. I've seen cool. the other one. That's Eden Lake. Okay. Uh, that's one of those bleak movies where it's just tension from beginning to end. It's just And the music in that too. I, I was telling Prince, I was like, yo, this music is like, there's nothing really emotional going on. It's just very bland. But at the same time, that creates that emotional tension of just like this is just a morbid movie okay and but it didn't work for you though the movie no i i don't like movies <laughs> like that it's not, it's not my cup of tea it's like i have to watch some like happy movie after that okay with suspiria i feel like there is that same type of tension from beginning to end but at the same time it's so beautifully like shot mm-hmm. and there's so many great colors and the music is so fantastic that you're kind of like mesmerized by it so you're just going through the journey there's some fun here to be had and i think that's right. really it's well, a lot of creativity. You know, we'll, we'll get into this. We've got we're still on the first scene. I, yeah, so I got to we'll progress this. Here I am talking about efficiency and storytelling, and then you know, <laughs> here I am rambling on. But no, I, I mean I agree with what you're saying about this absolutely. So when when Susie gets outside, it's raining heavily, and she gets in a cab, and she eventually arrives at the academy, and it's this beautiful kind of weird looking red building. It kind of almost looks like it's a model. It doesn't really look like it belongs. It looks like this something like out of a fairy tale or something. I don't yeah. know. I'm reminded of like the Disney castle for some reason. I mean, it doesn't. No, that's it's... fair. Well, the entire internal and exterior architecture is insane in this. It doesn't mm-hmm. feel like it should be real, but it is. And it's gorgeous to look at. Yeah. And this building is a real building. It's some kind of historical building. I think in Freiburg, a lot of this movie wasn't shot in Germany. Some of it is. There's a, a scene, a notable scene later on that's very clearly shot in Munich because it's a, a famous location in Munich where, you know, Hitler would hold rallies and stuff like that so it's like okay that's not Freeburg, but i mean and then a lot of it's shot in italy but yeah this this location this building is notably Freeburg. and when susie arrives there she gets out and there's another woman leaving the academy she seems to be upset she's shouting something inside we don't hear what she's shouting because of the rain and then she leaves in a hurry and Susie tries to get in the, inside and she's using the intercom and someone's talking to her, but they're not letting her in because they don't know who she is, even though she is confirmed to be a student here. And as someone that uh, has studied in international universities, this is like my number one fear right here. <laughs> I'm like always <laughs> worried about like I'm, I'm going someplace in England and I'm going to get there and they're like, yeah, what, what are you doing here? And I'm like, what? No, you get stranded. <laughs> yeah. It's like there's a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. So she gets back in the cab, you know, she doesn't know where she's going at this point, but she's just like, oh, okay, I'll find a hotel or whatever. And as the cab takes off, they see the woman that was leaving the academy from earlier running through the woods, which is a really neat shot. And again, with the colors, the the colors in the, in this scene with the rain, when she, when they're just kind of going through the, the city that are like um, shot from when the shots are inside the cab, the colors, mm-hmm. it's just these like red and green. It's really, really stylistic and just visually kind of amazing. And even in this this forest that she's running through, this woman, we don't know this yet, but this woman is named Pat. And this, like the forest itself just looks so fantastical something about it right. it just looks really really neat it, it's one of those things where it's like obviously there's a lot of great use in color in film in general it, it creates like you're in for like a fairy tale and it does feel like that too it doesn't seem realistic but at the same time kind of like 
magical. Yes. And I think that's the thing that really like transports you into this world is like you're going to follow these characters in these unconventional circumstances of horrific events, essentially, which wouldn't happen anywhere else. And it's it's a moment of like disbelief. But at the same time, it like sells you on it. It's like, mm-hmm. no, and just enjoy the ride. And the reflection of the colors on her face is just ah, gorgeous. Yeah, it's it's really just, it's the whole movie is kind of like this dark fairy tale. Yeah. And up to this point, really, other than some of the color stuff and kind of the stylistic cinematography, up to this point, we're kind of following the Jalo formula. I don't know, Freddie, how familiar you are with Jalo. I, I recall Prince saying it's one of his favorite genres in one of your episodes. Yeah. But like Jalo, it's the Italian, we, we haven't really done a whole lot of it on the podcast so far but it's kind of like a modern film noir for italy basically but it usually follows a foreigner you know who's visiting somewhere in europe italy germany somewhere and they're just kind of like they usually just kind of stumble upon weird things and you know they're usually not a police officer but they end up having to investigate these series of crimes or you know murders and this movie you know argento probably did Jalo better than anyone else in my humble opinion but and I, i've seen some people kind of consider this movie to be a Jalo. there's like one scene in particular that really kind of stands out as that but for the most part it's really just it's a few um it's a few kind of details that are like it and, and for the most part the movie is absolutely its own thing like you were saying kind of difficult to categorize difficult to kind of think of another similar movie to it i guess right and uh, i think with like Giallo films yeah it's, it's something i'm not too familiar with but that's like one of the first things i actually googled about this movie it's like oh is this a Giallo film and there is a lot of controversy on this movie yeah no Giallo. there is I was like <laughs> okay never mind i got no answers thank you <laughs> But, like, right when you put, like, Giallo and then Suspiria, there's many, many, like, results. And Mm -hmm. some say yes, some say no. Me, not being super educated on the (laughs) subject matter, I don't know for sure. I know Prince would probably have a better answer than me. But whatever it is, it's gorgeous. And like you said, I feel like this movie just is its own product. It's its own thing. It's its own subgenre. And that's why I'm really excited to maybe check out the the reboot. Because now it's got me interested in to see how they took this story on. And they refreshed modernized take i guess yeah like i said the remake very good but also very very different i feel like you could watch that with no familiar familiarity of the original and definitely take something from it and if if you're you know it's one because we've all seen remakes that are like oh you know i've seen the original movie why does this exist it it seems like it's just doing the same thing it's definitely not that i'll say it here i'm all for the remakes give it to us all why not if it's for a newer generation or if they make it better or if they just create a new product that we all enjoy why not movies are movies let's enjoy them there's a lot of remakes that are good and a lot of people complain about remakes there's a lot of horror remakes that are good yeah like 100%. all the Hammer horror movies from like the fifties and sixties, like those are basically just remake of the remakes of the Universal monsters from the thirties, and then you know the, the Fly and the Thing are the ones everyone always goes to. The Blob yeah, the is thing. another one, but hey, Suspiria's right up there. I think it's one of the better ones. So Pat, the woman who was running through the woods, ends up at a friend's apartment building, and the interior of this apartment building, it, strange. there's there's almost a Wes Anderson quality. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a good call. That's a good it's, comparison. It's so fantastical looking. It does not look like a setting on this earth. This might be a set. I really don't know, to be perfectly honest. Uh, it would certainly wouldn't surprise me if it is. Yeah. I wouldn't Actually, be thinking of what happens at the end of the scene, I think it probably has to be. 
That's true too. Fair <laughs> enough. But I like how you said this is a very like Wes Anderson thing because mm. same thing. It's like these places just don't look believable, but you're sold on like the beauty of it. And the architecture mm-hmm. is great. Yeah, so Pat is staying with her friend who I, I'm sure we get her name. I didn't write it down, but she's very upset about something and she wants to tell her friend about it. But she says, you know, not tonight. And her friend's like, okay, just relax. You can stay here. We'll figure out what's going on in the morning. And then Pat, after just kind of standing around for a while, looks out the window. And this this scene, I forgot how long this takes. This scene goes on forever where she's like looking at the window. And I actually think that's great because you're anticipating that scare. But it takes so long to get there that it actually like it works even better than were it pretty quick or immediate. But she eventually sees these like two eyes, these like two yellow eyes out in the distance. And then an arm (laughs) reaches through the window and grabs her. And it's this like super, super hairy arm, like a, you know, like an arm from our second movie from from Abominable. It looks like it belongs to a creature like that. Like, it's just crazy. And it's it's pulling at her. And then her friend is somehow locked out of the building. Excuse me, not of the building, but of this particular room. Yeah. And so she's in the hallway just banging on the door because she hears something's going on and she's screaming, someone's being murdered, which is a little, I mean, she's not wrong, <laughs> but it's a bit <laughs> presumptuous. She's right. not operating like, how do you know? the information here. Yeah. And a, a reminder, of course, that, you know, though this is an Italian movie, of course, because Italian movies in this period, they didn't use onset audio. So we watched the English language version. I have never seen an Italian language version of this that's, you know, got subtitles. I don't know if they exist. They probably don't. No, it's a good call because you can tell there's some audio syncing that doesn't work perfectly. And I, I thought it was like the, the streaming quality, but actually I was like, oh, no, this is just a movie and that's fine. Yeah, Tubi, Tubi's not necessarily known for having the best transfers all the time too, but but I think this is more, this is, this is just a, a product of the times, a product of, right. you know, Italian cinema. Speaking of a product of Italian cinema, we then get something that doesn't really make a lot of sense, which is a big thing in Italian horror movies, as Pat ends up, I guess, like on the roof or like somewhere. Yeah, she gets transported. Yeah. From window to outside to on the roof. Yeah, Yeah, maybe the arm grabs her and and pulls her up there. But even in the the, the roof, it's like it still feels like it's indoors because there's this like kind of like a gate. I don't really know how to describe the location, and I certainly don't know how to describe how she got there, but this is where she gets stabbed repeatedly, and it's rather violent, rather bloody. We Mm -hmm. mentioned the gorgeous colors in this movie that does include the blood in this case, which the blood in this movie doesn't it's it's like brighter and more vibrant than like real blood so and and i think that's again kind of a an italian movie tended to kind of look that way and it works perfectly for this movie though absolutely i i definitely agree so she gets stabbed repeatedly but she's still alive and she gets a cord like a i don't know just like an a giant extension cord that's hanging on the outside of the roof uh spun around her neck and she gets thrown through like the skylight of the of like the the main in the wes anderson building kind of the main (laughs) lobby skylight uh window top like stained glass kind of thing at this point her friend is at the bottom looking up and screaming and as as pat falls the cord tightens and she gets hanged to death and then in a long and slow shot the camera 
moves down and reveals that her friend was actually killed by the broken glass shards that went into her face. Yeah, it's pretty gnarly. It's a bit much. This is this this it entire is. scene is is pretty intense and if you didn't know much about Italian movies or Italian horror movies, this scene would just like you'd be like, "Whoa." Cuz like American movies in in the 70s were not were not this violent, I feel like. Yeah, I agree. I feel like this is um it really sets the stage of this movie of not holding back and kind of Absolutely. introduces you to like the tone of the movie. It's like, "Yeah, we're going to go there. We're going to go to some dark places." And they don't shy away from cutting the camera away from the characters after they die. They kind of like stay with them and mm-hmm. just show the brutality of the after effects that happened. And I have to say this was like, "Yeah, my anxiety was like going up a little bit." It's like, okay, I see where this movie is going. I see why people love it as well, because it's it's a very creative kill. This is like very... Oh, yeah. It's so elaborate. It's insane. It's very elaborate. Yeah. It's not like, oh, I'm going to stab you. You're dead. Or I'm just going to drag you out the window and you're dead. It's like, I can drag you out the window, then stab you, then tie a rope around your neck and then throw you like through the skylight. <laughs> it's so excessive. She, your she gets killed survive. three times in this basically. scene, basically. Yeah. There was a, there's specifically a shot of her exposed heart being stabbed. Oh, that's true. Which yeah. I failed to mentioned that earlier i that's one of the most memorable images of it for me and that's insane so it's like okay she definitely dies there but you know in this stylistic kind of dark fantasy movie she's still living until she gets sent through the skylight right there's a lot of brutality until her death even like before she even gets thrown out the window her face is getting pressed against it for like a very long time Mm -hmm. it's just it's a lot happening for her to die and i think that's where the crazy brutality and anxiousness and then even in that like somehow you know credit to argento here there's a weird beauty in the shot of her just like hanging there yeah it's at least i thought so i don't i don't i don't want to speak for you because (laughs) i realize i sound like a weirdo thinking that shot's kind of amazing but i it's just that's one of those images that probably if like one image from this movie sticks out it's for me it's that one of her just hanging there in the middle of this wes anderson lobby it's the way it's shot and i think it like just frames her like hung body surrounded by like really nice looking architecture it just it's out of place and in place at the same time and it just creates that beautiful shot mm-hmm. so the next day you know coming down from that scene Susie shows up at the academy she's told that her room at the academy isn't available and that she'll have to stay with another student and she meets two of the people that kind of run the place but not the directress the directress is away She's out of the country. They mentioned that. But the people that run it are, I think it's um, it's Miss Tanner, I think was the name. That's like the German woman. Hmm. And then yeah. Madame Blanc. Right. Miss Tanner is this like, um, I assume it is a German actress and because the, the accent dubbing is German. So it's, I always have a, have trouble talking about acting in movies like this because you're really potentially talking about two different performers. You're talking about the actor and then the dub performer in this case it might That's be the true. same person yeah. i don't I, i'm kind of assuming it is just because german accent she's really the only one with the german accent in the movie and then madame blanc is sort of i think she's basically the of the people that are there you know directress is gone madame blanc i think is the one sort of in charge but miss tanner is more the i think she has more of an active role in like um instructing the the students i agree with that yeah, I don't think understanding that dynamic is all that important because there isn't a lot of focus on the students, the student life, I guess, as it were, and dancing and, you know, unlike the, you know, not to spoil anything, but that's the remake's very different in that sense. But right. It gets probably more involved in the school itself mm-hmm. where this is just more like the mystery and just 
keeps going faster and faster. So Miss Tanner introduces Susie to the girls in the locker room, and she ends up meeting and staying with Olga. Olga has an off-campus apartment, which is insanely decorated. It's like it's like the most elaborate like grandma wallpaper all over the place. It's insane. Right. <laughs> it's it's that, that set is a bit much for me. As much as I love the visuals of this movie, I think that's a bit much. Too much. <laughs> and Susie also befriends Sarah. Sarah. And who I thought at first, because there's a line from Miss Tanner saying, you, you'll meet several Americans among here. I thought Sarah was another American. They mentioned later on that her family's from Geneva. Mm. Unless they're referring to Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. I think it's safe to say this woman is Swiss. But it doesn't really matter <laughs> because everyone's dubbed by, by Americans or British actors, you know. It doesn't really matter. When Susie is staying with Olga, she mentions or she recalls that she had seen Pat because at this point, of course, she had overheard that Pat was killed. There were police officers talking to Madame Blanc, asking her questions at the academy. And Susie met, mentions that, like, oh, I um, I saw her leaving. She was, like, near hysterics, and I couldn't make out what she was saying. But I heard the word Iris, and I heard the word secret. And so Olga doesn't really know what to make of this. And this is the only one at this point who she shares this information with. Right. And that, like, creates a little bit more mystery of the whole entire story. This keeps coming back. Every now and then we get more glimpses of the um, of that original Pat. I don't want to say interaction because they didn't interact. But the first initial sighting of Pat, we get a little bit more to this um, jigsaw Phrase. piece, I guess. Right. Yeah. It's, it's like to remind the viewer multiple times throughout the film. It's like, this is the key to solve the problem or to solve the mystery, essentially. Yeah, this is it's our sort rosebud. of like... One of the few other Italian movies we've done on this podcast, which also is debatably a Jalo movie, was uh, Hatchet, <laughs> Hatchet for the Honeymoon by director Mario Bava. It, that has like a, we keep flashing back to this thing and, and this scene and we learn, we see more and more of it as the movie goes on. Difference with that and this is that you see where that mystery is going well before right. you do with this one because you don't, I mean, the word iris, which could be a name, could be a flower. I guess, that's, or it could be an eye, the part of an eye, right? That's true. Uh, yeah. Good call. And then <laughs> secret could mean anything. Yeah. If this were a Lucio Fulci movie, that would have something to do with an eye, definitely. That dude is huge on stabbing people in eyes and everything. <laughs> <laughs> Every one of his movies has like some major eye trauma, and it's disgusting. And thankfully, we don't go there with this movie, but we get pretty brutal. We get pretty other. far, yeah. <laughs> So at one point, Susie is walking through the hall at her academy, and she sees this kind of heavy-set, ugly woman. I know, I don't know how to describe her. Just kind <laughs> of like polishing like a piece of glass. Yeah. And it kind of she tilts it in a way where light is reflected onto Susie and she reacts almost as if she's getting sick. And while this happens, this is where the music comes in. And in at least the first time I was seeing this, I, I there's a word spoken. I don't think, and it's, it's spoken, it's by the band Goblin. It's part of the score, but I wasn't sure what it was. Like watching it now, it's, it's the word witch. Oh yeah. Yeah. But I, yeah, I don't know why movie. I missed it. It's pretty obvious. <laughs> Because with the theme, even, there's the um, kind of the rhythmic chanting, I guess, to go along with the theme song, which gets really creepy. It's done in kind of a creepy, like, throaty voice. Yeah. It's a very unsettling score. It just keeps you, like, on the edge of your toes and, like, you're like, where is this going? Especially watching this. I haven't seen any trailer. 
I've seen maybe a couple screenshots of this movie, and I've heard like this is like one of the horror masterpieces to watch. So oh my watching God. this for the first time, you should have like, seen it's just a the weird trailer. Journey. You should have seen the original trailer. It's one of my favorite things ever. There's, I remember the first time I, the first time I ever heard of this movie was I don't know if you remember this Bravo back in like 2005, 2004 did like a 100 scariest movie moments thing. Oh no, but I believe it. Yeah, I I saw it. I was relative. I was probably like 12 years old, and I saw it. They did it around Halloween, and it was a bunch of movies I had never heard of before. You know obviously the occasional movie I, I had heard of but like for 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 me as a kind of a kid who wasn't really into horror movies this is my introduction to a lot of horror movies and the two that stuck out to me were audition and Suspiria, which are now, in my opinion, the two scariest movies I've seen. And mm. I remember they talked about the that scene with the the Pat death in that special, I believe. But they also showed a bit of the trailer. And the trailer is just you see the back of a woman's head and she's combing her hair. And she's doing like kind of like uh, there's like a lullaby kind of thing. And then she turns around and it's just a wig on a skeleton. Oh and, then, and then and then the title Suspiria comes up. It's like both the best so and worst trailer ever. Yeah. It's it's amazing, but no, you should have seen the trailer because then you would have probably gone into this movie with even completely. less expectations of yeah. what you're about to see. That's really cool. I, I love like going into movies completely blind. And I think the only thing I got kind of ruined for me was like the barbed wire scene, which we'll talk about, of course. Okay, yeah. I went to um, Seattle literally maybe like two weeks ago. And we went to the Museum of Pop Culture. And then they have their whole like horror section and stuff like that. Okay. And they're having like, a little documentary. Not even familiar with this museum. Yeah, it was really cool. I highly recommend if you're in the Seattle area. But they had a documentary playing and it had like... I think it was Eli Roth talking about this movie, Suspiria, and how brutal it was to see someone like flail around in a barbed wire (laughs) room. And I was like, damn, this is gnarly. I'm going to have to watch this movie soon. And then, obviously, that soon came. Yeah. There's also a museum. I unfortunately didn't go to it, but there is a museum of Italian horror in Rome. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think it's run by Dario Argento, or like his name is attached to it in some way. It's called, just called Profondo Rosso, which is the Italian title of his movie Deep Red. And I've seen pictures of it, and I was in Rome. I was in there for an academic conference, and I considered going to it. But when I only had a couple days to spare in Rome, it's like, yeah, I, you know, as much as I love Dario Argento, I, I've got to see a few actual Roman things. <laughs> Roman not, things, yeah, yeah. It's hard to justify my time spent at an Italian horror museum <laughs> when, I, when I can go see the Circus Maximus and uh, all that stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, when in Rome, right? <laughs> Absolutely. But yeah, next time I'm there. Next time I'm there, that is number one on my to-do list, when in Rome. So, anyways, after this weird kind of glass scene Susie's not feeling well and she enters the dance hall she doesn't want to dance but Miss Tanner makes her dance and she eventually collapses yeah very interesting scene because yeah she's just like disorientated and I was like oh, okay I love the shot of her like right before she falls because she's talking about like oh no I don't have any strength and when you when you see her kind of stumbling around she's still on her toes it's kind of insane I I is Jessica Harper, a, a ballet dancer in real life. She, I feel like she'd have to be even just for that one shot. Right, they're all like really professional. So I yeah, say, exactly. Like, I mean, this is the only time background. you see her dancing, and she's supposed to be flailing and 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 failing. But still, even in that so- shot, she manages to do something really impressive. I mean, I'm not a dancer. I am exceedingly <laughs> Caucasian, as they say. So any kind of dancing impresses me. But yeah. 
But anyways, when she comes to, she's being held in a bed. She, her stuff has been moved from Olga's apartment to her spare or her new room now in the academy. Miss Tanner did go up to her and say that the room was available, but she was like, no, I want to stay with Olga. But then mm -hmm. now that she's sick, Susie believes anyways, Olga is worried that she would get sick. So she immediately wanted her stuff over here, which is kind of a nice little, you know, they don't, they don't say it. That's just what Susie ends up believing. And, and it's kind of nice because it's like deep down, we're like, wait, there's something else going on there. Something else made that happen. But she is being treated by Dr. Vertigast. Does that name mean anything to you? I'm trying to think of if... Because it, it, um, it seemed so familiar to me. And maybe it was just that I've seen this movie. But like that name, it's like, fair. what is that? That's like, a, I feel like that's a... I don't know. <laughs> maybe it's I, maybe maybe it's been it referenced in a, in a movie I've seen. You know, that's referencing Suspiria. I, it could just be that. But if if there's a Vertigast that pops up in like a Rob Zombie movie or something, it wouldn't shock right, me. Like throwback, yeah, a little Easter egg. I mean, it could <laughs> yeah. be. It's a very distinct name, though. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, that's yeah. Uh, but anyways, Doctor Vertigast's advice is that she is to have a glass of red wine with every meal, and basically that she just has to keep up with her drinking her fluids. Very Italian. <laughs> very yes, a very red wine very Italian fine. solution. Yeah. So Sarah and Susie's friendship really begins to pick up. I remember Sarah was the one who I thought maybe was American, but is Swiss because they're now they're staying in adjacent rooms, but they spend a lot of time in each other's rooms just hanging out, especially because Susie's mostly bedridden. She's not completely bedridden. And they're talking about like uh, Susie at one point asks, you know, where the if the instructors, if the teachers stay at the building and then sarah says no they leave every night at 9 30 like clockwork and you can hear them walking towards the door at one point when Susie's kind of mostly asleep because she's got the um because she's sick and maybe getting more sick with what she's being fed you should i guess regardless if you, if you drink wine with dinner you're going to be a little drowsier right of course but she she kind of notices like wait a second those steps aren't actually going to towards the door they're going someplace else but before we get to that point, we have the maggot infestation scene. Mm. And this scene is nasty. I'm surprised how far they went with this. I thought it was like going to be a very small moment. It's like, oh, it's in her hair and stuff like that. Well, and I was it's, like, it's oh, almost, no. This it's is almost like gnarly. comedically edited to me because it's like one of the girls, I can't remember if it's Susie or Sarah, is combing her hair. And then you see a maggot fall in and then she looks right. the, and she notices it. And then she looks down at the comb and there's like a dozen maggots in there. And then like immediately it cuts to like everyone is out out in the hall screaming because everyone every every person has maggots in their room from the ceiling yeah, yeah it, it was actually yeah it was a good shock factor because i did not expect it i was like oh okay that that's a creepy moment just one maggot comes out of her hair maybe a second one and they're like nope we're going full balls to the wall like everyone's running around and there's well, like and go panic and going back to just the you know you, you never quite know what to expect with this movie yeah were maggots even on your radar at this point were you thinking this was <laughs> no. even a remote possibility i mean like i said i I had very little context for this movie, so mm -hmm. I had no idea what was going on. Right, but um, even based on knew... what we've seen already, you know, maggots, right. what? And I still don't understand where this scene kind of fits, yeah. to be honest. It still seems out of place, but I'm it not does. happy It does, I agree with there. that. Yeah, because the instructors, Miss Miss Tanner and, and Madame Blanc, eventually follow it upstairs, and they find that there is a box of spoiled meat just in the cellar. It's right. like the only thing that's in the cellar. I don't know, but yeah, it, it, it's a pretty out there scene. 
And you know what? Maybe it's just an excuse to get everyone into the hall or into the dance, uh, you know, the recital room to sleep because it could just be that. But I love this scene. This scene, yeah, it's all the women or all the students. They are women, but I'll call them girls just to be, you know, not confuse them with the instructors, I guess. I guess there's there's a man or two. It's not many. There's not. It's like the pianist and then the, the ugly dude that got his teeth redone. The uh, the ugly dude, <laughs> the the guy that reminds me of Jaws from the James Bond movies. I feel so movies. bad. He's like, you can call him ugly. It's fine. He doesn't understand you. Yeah. Like, yeah okay. <laughs> Brutal. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So they they're all in this hall and they have these just giant um, sheets up, like curtains, you know, blankets, whatever. But they're like huge. And then when Miss Tanner leaves and shuts the lights off, she really turns some red lights on because this is some incredible stylistic lighting. I love the look of this scene. <laughs> it looks so awesome. Yeah, it's super creepy. If I ever slept in a room which just had like this red glow to it, I was like, this distracting as hell. I have slept in a room with that had this red glow to it. Oh <laughs> when I was in, uh, I think it was my junior year of undergrad, I had, I got like some red Christmas lights and uh, then I kind of hung yeah. up on the outside of my room. But then like, I honestly think it was because of Suspiria. I'm like, what's after Christmas? What's it going to be like if I just kind of hook them up in here? And I had a small bedroom, so everything was just like glowing red. red. It was really cool. I'm sure I fell asleep with those in at one point. But yeah, probably not often because it would be incredibly distracting and hard to sleep. But 100%. Super spooky. Right. Speaking of spookiness, too, this is when when everyone's supposed to be sleeping, Sarah and Susie are talking, and Susie's asking about the headmistress. Or, no, excuse me, Susie's not asking. Sarah's talking about the headmistress because Sarah hears a woman snoring behind them, you know, behind the sheets, and she says, like, that's the headmistress. I recognize that snore because there's this whistle at the end of it. And, and she said, like, I, th- I think there was something about how the headmistress at one point slept in a room next to next to Sarah or, or something. But it's it's a creepy scene. I like this a lot. We don't understand why it's important at this point that the headmistress is there. Right. It's just more to the mystery. Right. There's something creepy about the snore, certainly the red yeah. lighting, and then even just the silhouette we see of her. What adds on to the scene? too is that they don't even turn around they're talking about it and they're like oh yeah it's behind us but they don't even turn around to like look and i i felt like that was very disturbing it's like can you just look at her real quick well i think like, i think in in that sense creepy. i think because even though it's lit very brightly red i think in the context of the movie it's supposed to be like pitch black you know so right. i think that's kind of explains that but yeah but it creates a neat visual too that you just see this shadow behind right. them it's it's really neat Okay, so then we get to the dog scene, or at least the first of the dog Mm. scenes, because we have a blind pianist named Daniel, and he's got a German Shepherd. I think it's a German Shepherd. I think so too, yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. And it's it's his seeing eye dog, and it's right off the bat, I'm going to say not a well-trained seeing eye dog, because he leaves it outside. The the first time we see him is, is much earlier in the movie than this, but he leaves the dog outside. And then as he's going inside, the dog barks. And I'm like, okay, they're not they're not supposed to do that. <laughs> I've been around right. some people with seeing eye dogs. They're incredibly well-behaved. They never bark. And I don't know, maybe it was different in Italy. Maybe it was different in the 70s. Who knows? But it's 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 an actor dog. He's doing his best. Or she. Right. I don't know. <laughs> or maybe it's supposed to like create the tension. Like the dog feels some type of way about the building and the place. and the Yeah, yeah, because that's, that's an old cliche is that the dogs right. are always the first to sense Weird supernatural vibes. things. Right. Yeah. But yeah, anyways, uh, the dog is one of the best scenes later. But this dog scene involves, it's um, 
it's that same heavier kind of ugly woman walking up to the dog and she's with i guess her son this little damien looking boy he's like a blonde <laughs> damien he's dressed in that like almost like a sound of music outfit like very like right like classic boyish guy yeah, yeah cl- a classic like or like a, the, the um children of the damned that kind of thing yeah and um what actually happens here do we see anything i mean it's like a weird like slow motion shot and it cuts between dumb two walking and then the dog and then the dog gets up and then we just get cut back into like yeah the, the room where he's playing the piano and stuff like that and it, it, it was one of those scenes where it's, it, it was very odd i'm surprised he didn't show it but at the same time it's like the context is like all right well i also scene... don't th- i also don't think he was actually bitten oh that's fair okay. i think th- i think they're just saying i think because then miss tanner comes in and s- screams at daniel the blind guy right and says that your stupid dog bit that stupid kid i i, I think what's his name or is daniel the kid maybe daniel's the kid there's someone's daniel yeah, I, I think it's the kid, I think. Daniel's the kid, excuse me. So the pianist is named something. I didn't write it down. Yeah, <laughs> I was confident that I did. I, I, but apparent, apparently I didn't. Yeah, the blind guy. So he's basically kicked out of the academy. We later see him at like a stereotypical German bar just watching these guys in like lederhosen dance on top of tables. Like, right. I don't know what because. that's about. Uh, I feel like that's just like um, an Italian guy going, what did Germans do? And and, and that was the answer. <laughs> and then he's out walking in this area. And this is the area I mentioned that is, um, I don't remember the name of the buildings. I think this is one of these buildings is like an art museum, I think. But this is a very famous location in Munich. This is where the Nazis burned books. This is where Hitler gave rallies. So right even regardless of what actually happens in this scene, this is already, at least to me, like a location that just, it already feels like evil in, in its own yeah. way. And and it's, I wonder if it was chosen because of that. It very might well be. Yeah, it's like, it might If you're be. like looking for shooting locations, you're like, well, okay, there's about to be some very dark scene that's about to happen. Where's a dark place we could do this? Yeah, I that mean, place. it could be, but it was also like, you know, I'm not going to slander Dario Argento because I don't know anything about his political beliefs, but like <laughs> Italy was also on Germany's side at the time, so yeah, I don't know. <laughs> that's fair enough, too. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, is this um, this poor guy, this uh, blind pianist who I guess has been fired from his job because his dog may have attacked the kid, but also probably didn't. At least that's how I took it. He's walking and then they stop because the dog starts barking. And this is like it's really dark. It's which this is like the one scene in the movie that's dark. Everything else is so bright and colorful. And this is just like dark. And it's it, it's the dog barking and the scene goes on for a really long time. But again, I think the payoff works better because of that, because we don't know what the dog's barking at. Obviously, he doesn't. And we don't see that much. We see shadows moving like these big shadows moving across what little light we do have shown on the side of a building. And then the camera swoops down from like the top of the building towards them. And then the yeah. dog attacks this guy and rips his throat open. Yeah. It's nuts. Very gnarly. <laughs> yeah. It's and nuts. It's, this is... Again, camera does not cut away. It just stays with it. And you just see the dog just going to town. And I'm just like, damn. Yeah, uh, brutal. And then it has like that same color scheme with like the blood being very like bright and vibrant yeah. as well. And it kind of works really well too. But it's like, damn, this is a brutal scene. Yeah, and I like when the because in a couple of shots where the dog is like grabbing the throat, you can tell it's like a puppet or something. Right. 
But I mean, it's it's not like bad. I'm just saying, like, oh, that's kind of cute. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> that's kind of cute. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm sorry. I've seen some really disturbing <laughs> movies. <laughs> I, I find I look for Trust me, me too. moments of levity in these kinds of things. And then then when he's on the ground at this point, he's you know he's probably dead. The dog. It's it's a real dog again. He's very clearly like eating some kind of like you know, meat that's covered in, you know, their artificial blood or whatever. But the camera stays kind of high. It doesn't go lower because I'm sure the dog is just eating the, the, these uh, the pork sausages or whatever. So right. I kind of enjoyed that too. The movie does a really good job of like framing the shots to just show enough, but not everything, mm-hmm. which I really appreciate. So then Susie and Sarah have this scene in the pool where they talk about something. And uh, Sarah's talking about she's she had notes from Pat and she mentions yeah. like something like she had this like professor friend named Frank. I'm perfectly honest, a, b- a bit unclear on what all this is, what this is doing in the movie. But well, I mean, I understand what the notes are important, but I guess Pat figured it out. There's, yeah, there's yeah, Pat figured it out. But it's it's kind of yeah. weird that it's happening that she's bringing it up this late. But right. I guess you know the more and more weird stuff happens, then you're like, oh wait, maybe. You know, I don't know. But eventually, when they go back to their rooms, this is again when Susie is more or less asleep. Sarah's trying to wake her because she she has found that Pat's notes have been, you know, they've disappeared. They've been taken. But then Sarah panics because she sees someone approaching their door. So she sneaks out and she just kind of sneaks around the building. She goes upstairs and then she's attacked by someone. And again, this scene goes on for really long, but this is the really, this is the giallo scene. This is where we get a lot of shots of the hand coming at her with um, with a straight razor, which is classic Italian horror stuff. I like this scene a lot. And this is coming up. This is the one scene you said you, you knew about before this yeah. movie because she eventually, she goes through like a secret passageway and eventually climbs through a window and then she sees a door and she takes one step towards the door and didn't realize that there was no floor in front of her. So she falls into a bed of barbed wire, razor wire, whatever. And <laughs> so But that's still not what kills her because someone I know comes through that door that she's trying to get to and slices open her throat. And what a cut. <laughs> and, well, <laughs> what a scene. Oh, that's a weird way to say it. But I meant like a cut no, no, I know. editing-wise for like Yeah, no, I, I know, but it was but a good cut one. too. Yeah, but. there's two of them. It's a, you made a pun. <laughs> Uh, it's one of those things where it's like it lasts a very long time too of it her does, like flailing yeah. around and I was like stop moving yeah <laughs> like take you're your making time it worse you're, this is like hurting me watching you go through this right now but man it's like the bad. saw two scene when when uh, Amanda gets thrown in the bed of uh, hypodermic needles, needles? And yeah just like stabbing yeah. her it's like it's uncomfortable but I also like there's a um I don't know if there's a term for this I, I I'm tempted to say subjective camera that's not the correct term because subjective camera is a camera from you know like a POV but but it's used in The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, one of my favorite movies of all time. This idea that, like, even though the camera is third person, the subject of the shot can only see what the camera shows. Because right. in theory, she should be able to see that she's going to fall into a bed of um, razor wire. But she doesn't because the camera doesn't reveal reveal that to us. And that's used in The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly when um, Tuco and Blondie are walking and then they get swarmed by a bunch of soldiers who come at them from in front of them. But because the camera's facing them, they don't see them. And that shot even is homaged in um, 
it's one of the Lord of the Rings, or actually, I think it's a couple of them. But I, I remember in the first uh, in the Fellowship of the Ring when Gimli's talking about like I've got eyes like a fox, and ears, you know he's talking about like oh no, nothing can sneak up on them, and then all of a sudden there's an arrow right in <laughs> right in his face being held by an elf, which I think that's an homage to the good, the bad, and the ugly. But anyways, I was reminded of that a bit with this scene because if you break it down, it doesn't really make sense, but it's it's that right. stylistic it's, kind of thing it's that the makes reveal. it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's impactful too. I, I saw the scene where she was doing that, but I did not know that this was the scene. And it oh, had a I great see. impact yeah. because of the reveal. I was like, oh, cool. I'm in the scene that I, I saw earlier. So Susie finds that Sarah has gone missing. Miss Tanner tells her that, you know, she just left. She just left the school. She didn't tell anyone, but she left this morning. And Susie obviously thinks that's, thinks that's weird. So she calls Frank. Frank is this professor guy who I guess is a psychologist, psychiatrist, doctor of psychology. He's something. And she meets with him because she says she's a friend of Sarah's and she speaks to him. This is Udo Kier, who is yes, love him. a legend of the silver screen. One of the rare, or I shouldn't say rare, but he is one of the German actors here, but he's dubbed by an American guy of some sort, <laughs> which is kind of disappointing. So we get Udo yeah. Kier, but we don't get his voice. And this is basically the first scene all movie. We're probably two-thirds of the way in, and this is our exposition. <laughs> this, That's this true. Scene, That's fair. We start to figure some stuff out. Yeah, this scene, it, it doesn't give... They don't give us everything, but this scene, I think, could be for some people. This The movie stops to to, to have this scene. I think it's... a pre, For me, it was appreciated, but I understand the, um, you know, if, if someone wants to nod off a bit during this scene. Because <laughs> it's, it's two different right. people delivering exposition exposition frank can't deliver at all he brings in this other psychiatrist guy who's an expert on witches <laughs> that's right yeah but so what's the important information that we learn we learn that the founder of the school was supposedly a witch and we learn you know what a school of witches is we hear that we learn that it's a coven we learn that if you kill the leader of the coven the others will not know what to do I, am I missing anything? Is, it, is no, there that's anything? That's pretty much it. Yeah. 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 I, I, yeah, I want to there, say there's, there's pretty not much too it. much, but there's enough for it's like, okay, I understand what the hell's going on now. Yeah. There, there's, I want to say our... there's, there's a bit more as to the background of like the school itself, but right. that's not as important. But now we have like the mysteries kind of solved. We have our antagonist. We know what we're going against. Yeah. It's going back to why it was significant, I guess, that the directress is actually at the school. Right. Everything starts to make perfect sense now. To be honest, I don't agree with perfect, but I'll, but I'll give you sense. Well, fair enough. <laughs> like like I said, like going into this movie, I was so confused. There were so many things where it's like none of this kind of makes sense. And kind of like you, I do appreciate this exposition to like kind of explain the majority of everything. And now that you figured it out too, in the like the music score where they say like witch a few times, it's like oh yeah, this is definitely a witch movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now I just need to figure out why everything is happening. I don't think they actually explain what is happening or like the purpose of what they're doing to torment these students or maybe I oh actually that. no that's that's a bit more information that that we learn in this scene because we learn that witches have witches desire like power right they might say money too but they definitely say power and that they do that by inflicting great harm upon others Okay. Do we learn why specifically they're targeting wannabe ballerinas? No. (laughs) But there's a little bit there that you can take from that. Maybe it's like people who admire perfection and want to like be as successful as possible so they drain that quality out of the murders of the 
people? I don't know. So throwing that out there. Well, I mean, it's an interpretation. I think you can go a number of places with it. I think it could be a recruiting tool, too, if people are like, you know, you always hear about like, I don't know, movies involving like the devil. It's like, okay, they're targeting someone who's ambitious, who might be able to like... You know, like the classic, the Faustus story, right? It's it's that. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. You know, <laughs> you're free to interpret, I guess. <laughs> so Susie then comes back to the school and she finds that she's alone. She starts dumping her food and wine because she thinks that's having an adverse effect on her. And she's right at this point because it has been making her very drowsy. And her, all of her friends are dying while she's asleep. So <laughs> she's got to got to change up her uh, strategy, change up her lifestyle a bit. It was funny when seeing Sarah trying to wake her up that one night. I was like, this is ridiculous. You're not going to wake up from this? Okay, yeah. that's fine. It's like, yeah, oh, and that was actually... I think we've all had nights that, like that. Other than the musical score, that was the first mention we had of witches, I think, because Sarah was asking her, like, she's trying to wake her up, like, what do you know about witches or something? And Yeah. And so I think Susie somehow took that information, and that's why she asked Frank about it. I don't know. <laughs> Susie then she listens to the teacher's footsteps because remember she identified earlier that they're not actually leaving the school and she follows them by counting them and she takes them into well she has to sneak by like the kitchen where that heavier woman is again and I guess there's two of them I don't know if they're sisters they kind of look like <laughs> there's two of them there um so she sneaks by them and then she ends up in Madame Blanc's office which is a location we've seen before She's like, okay, this is why the footsteps stopped here. It's because this is carpeted. Everything else was wood. But Mm. she's also like, where are they? Like, there's no one in here. And then she sees in the mirror, she sees this lilac painting on the wall or or a couple of... No, not lilac. Sorry, Iris. (laughs) Excuse me. I got it. I screwed up the mystery. Uh, she sees a couple of irises on the wall painted and then and then she has another flashback to hearing what Pat said and Pat said the secret is with the irises turn the blue one. So she goes up to it and she turns the little blue iris and a secret passageway opens up. And I like how this is like a secret passageway that's just like right in the wall. It's not like one of those things that's like behind a bookcase or something. And right. looking at it, you would have no idea there's something there. Like, I, I just think it's great set design, I it guess, you know? such a great reveal, to be honest. And it, like, uh-huh. pops open, like, pretty fast, too. So it's, like, it does not hesitate to show, like, it's a secret passageway. She just mm-hmm. turns it and just, like, pops open. It's like, oh, okay, that's cool. We're going somewhere. We're going to the climax. I see you. Yeah, and we get some really, uh, we continue to get some really interesting set design here. I mentioned earlier we had a scene of darkness. This scene is pretty dark, too, when she's sneaking through this right. hallway. This hallway that has these, like, Curtains. gorgeous, almost gold leaf type like latin and greek writing all over like the walls like i i know a little bit of latin and i was like trying to read some of that and the camera doesn't focus on it too much but but i made out a, a word or two here or there but it's it's really interesting and she sees that basically every evil character at this point is in this room having some kind of it's not a seance but they're having a meeting right and they're discussing yeah. the death of the american and how madame blanc specifically is like she needs to go we need to get rid of her it's so who's there? It's the kid. It's Madame Blanc. Oh, it's Miss right. Tanner. And it's it's the big ugly guy. Am I missing anyone? 
Uh, no, I think you got everyone. But it, it, it kind of reminded me of like um, the teacher's conference room at the school. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just, yeah. They're all talking shit about the kids in real life. There's a coffee the machine out back somewhere, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're drinking water from the fountain, just talking shit. It's like, you know, which things. Yeah, so then Madame Blanc drinks something, maybe like a potion or something, and says that Susie will now die. Well, she just starts yelling like, die, die, or something like that. Right. Susie, at this point, hides in another room, the only room that she can find it's a weird room and it's what she knocks over is weird because there's this like peacock sculpture <laughs> it's like this metal peacock sculpture there's a lot of with, random like, stuff in this room <laughs> yeah with like uh almost like glow in the dark feathers or something she knocks it over and that causes a noise which makes the big ugly guy go out looking for her but then you know she tries to stay really quiet but then she hears the same snoring as before so she knows that this is the room where the headmistress lives and sleeps and she sees that silhouette behind the curtain and the headmistress starts talking to her and she's she says like i know you're here you're here to kill me and she grabs one of those peacock feathers which conveniently is a is a very good uh knife or something stabbing yeah. object yeah. And she goes to stab her but then that figure isn't there we never see the headmistress and the headmistress is still yelling at her and taunting her and she's saying like you've come to deliver death unto me well now here death comes to you and in enters the body of pat or was it pat or it might be sarah i think it's pat i'm not too sure um i want to say it's sarah because she has like all of the cuts on her she face. has all the cuts but for some reason i was thinking it was pat but sarah yeah you're probably right it's probably sarah i don't know why i was thinking it was pat but yeah because she's got cuts everywhere she, does she have a slit throat yeah yeah you're right this i you know i saw the th i forgot about the throat slit and i thought that was like the rope the cord oh good call uh, I mean, from the be. hanging but you're right yeah because i because yeah. you'd think she just dies from the razor wire but no she gets her throat slit on top of it insult to injury right <laughs> Right. But this creepy undead zombie with incredible makeup comes at her yeah. slowly, laughing maniacally, holding up this knife. And this is just so creepy. It's so great. It's so yeah, messed the, up. The design, the design is so great. This is what reminded me of The Exorcist, which I saw for the first time this year, too. I know okay. I've had a lot of fucking movies for the first time this year. Okay, there's a lines. tiny bit of Exorcist in, in the makeup. Yeah. I, I like can see that. Undead, but at the same time, like it just looks so mm -hmm. good for its time. And I was just like, I'm in. That's great. And this too, I think, is like when the otherworldly kind of sound of the dub of the dub actor really helps because you could kind of say that about everybody in this movie is that they because it's everybody's dub they kind of sound weird Off like they, like they don't yeah. belong even when when the sound matches pretty well you you just know it feels off it sounds off but this one specifically this creepy creepy laughing is like so messed up yeah so beautiful in the worst way possible yeah, well, that's that's, that's Argento. He yeah. finds incredible ways to shoot disgusting, horrific things, I guess. Beautiful yeah. ways to shoot horrific things. And then, because there's a storm, whenever lightning strikes and, and the outside is illuminated a bit, so also is the silhouette of the directress. Because she sees the silhouette, Susie stabs the silhouette, and it works. It kills her. Yeah. As much as I love this scene, it, it is kind of amazing how quickly the it escalates to the end. Problem yeah. is is resolved, <laughs> like because I love because it's like wow that creepy zombie's coming at her and, and laughing like this is amazing. But then it's like five seconds later, so <laughs> it's over. It's no longer a threat. It's oh man, I I wish there was a bit more here in the climax. Oh, it, it speeds super fast. Like immediately stab zombies down, mm -hmm. walks through the hallway. The other people are like freaking out. Fires going out. It's like what? Yeah. 
Well, and then and then the building, the the uh, school is burning. Right. Because I don't know. Cause yeah, because why to. not? And then Susie is leaving the building, and she's out in the rain as the building is on fire behind her, and she just has a laugh. Bit of a, you know, I don't think it's, the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre ends with the character kind of like laughing like this too. I don't think this is a, a, like a hysterical laughter. I think this is like a, this is a a true sigh of relief. Yeah. 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 It's it's one of those things where it's like, it shows the catharsis of the character at the very end of the movie where you kind of have the same thing with Midsummer, where she kind of like just smiles at the camera and yeah, that's like, oh damn, Danny just found her family and this is everything she kind of wanted. She got rid of her toxic boyfriend. (laughs) It's, it's these small moments at the end of like horror films, which is like, you feel good for the character. It's like you've Mm -hmm. survived all this or you've gone through all of this trauma. Yeah. And all you can do is just like laugh at it. Yeah, what else what else can you do? (laughs) Exactly. It's like, damn, it's like this is as ridiculous as it gets. I'm laughing about it. It's like the hell. What just happened? And it also reminds me of like Ready or Not with uh Oh yeah, Ready or Not is a great comparison. Laughing so hard. (laughs) It's so great. It's a fucking great movie. Although I compared the ending of Ready or Not to the ending of Hush because she's and then I don't think she laughs in that, but she's waiting outside with her cat when the uh when the cops show up. So it's a similar kind of ending, but yeah. Two badass bitches. They're great. Well three. Oh I mean yeah. I'm sorry, I was talking about that too, but (laughs) Suspira as well. Absolutely. So Freddie, what are your thoughts on Suspira? You've shared a decent amount already, but what do you think about this movie? I, I absolutely fell in love with this movie. It, it's it was definitely like one of those things where it's like I knew this is one of the major horror films that I have to watch. Mm-hmm. It's been talked about so many times. People always post like pictures of how beautiful it looks. Mm-hmm. And me going completely blind, I really enjoyed myself. I feel like it has so much to offer, especially as a first time viewer. Uh, mm-hmm. I feel like it's not going to be as impactful the more times you watch it. But I feel like it can still. I'm going to disagree. This movie still works. I mean, it's not as impactful, I guess. But right. like, I don't know. I, I my appreciation, I feel like, is growing every time I see it. And I, I, I hundred percent agree with you i think rewatchability is there you can watch this over and over again and still have a really fun time i just feel like that first time watch no okay yeah well especially going in going in blind i'm sure yeah that helps so if you're listening to this don't listen to it it's a little late but go see the movie (laughs) yes see the movie before listening of course i'm even like just talking about it i feel like you still have a visual difference actually watching it too so even if you heard this if you still haven't seen it you'll still have oh yeah watching it well and this is a movie where like the plot isn't that important like the bare bones like going through yeah. the plot from a it's to b delivery. to c that's so different from the actual experience of the movie like we we might have recounted every scene i'm sure we missed you know little scenes here and there right you know i missed the weird scene in the locker room where they talk about uh, everybody whose name starts with s is a snake that, that oh, was yeah. a weird scene. <laughs> you know, we skipped a little thing, little things like that. But like the experience is so much more because it's such a visual experience and it's such an uh, auditory experience too with the music. Also, yeah. you know, like we can't do justice to that music just talking about it, obviously. So yeah, when people call this a horror masterpiece, I have to agree with them. It's like right. this definitely um, withholds the stand of time. I feel like you can go into this even like 10 years from now and still appreciate this. I think Mm -hmm. it holds up very well. I mean, we're in complete agreement. This is in my top five horror movies ever. Wow. Um, And it has been for a while. You know, it's no particular order. Psycho, The Exorcist, Wicker Man, and... Oh, and Jaws. I love Jaws. I mean, Jaws is a movie I grew up with. I I, I 
I can't. I can't say no to Jaws. But yeah, uh, so it's right up there. There's a common thread of 70s movies, with the exception of Psycho. I'm a big 70s horror fan. I don't know what it was about that decade. A lot of people love 80s horror. 70s for me was when they got really weird. You know, Suspiria being no exception, The Wicker Man is another really, really weird movie. But I like movies that just feel like they're their own thing. They're not... This movie, we mentioned there's like a loose connection to Giallo, but this movie is its own thing. It doesn't conform to anything else. It's just Dario Argento and, you know, his wife, his late wife's Daria Nicolodi, who co-wrote this movie with him. It's their just like vision. And it's the, the like the writing is part of it, but the direction and the cinematography is is so much of it too. Also, I don't know. I noticed the music. Goblin is the band that performs the music, but Argento has a credit on the music. It says music huh, by Goblin and Dario Argento. I don't know. I I don't understand that because uh, Argento also he has some kind of credit on the Dawn of the Dead score as well, or maybe just the European version of Dawn of the Dead or something, which was just called Zombie. But I don't know. There's right. like some something weird. Argento might be a secret musical genius too. I don't know. I mean, it could be. He probably. I mean, if you look at this movie, you know he's a really good person for attention and detail and putting a lot of effort into something so there's probably a certain sound that he wanted out of this entire score so he probably worked heavily with them to like actually mm-hmm. make the music yeah i wouldn't be surprised all right so yeah let's move on to abominable Oh, this is one big thing too i feel like this title i can't fucking say the name it's like one of the hard oh, words it's a difficult to say. word that the, the, the i M fucking and the hate B it so the, much yeah abominable yeah Abund- fuck i fucking hate this word. if you if you have a stutter this is not the title <laughs> this is not the title for you man yes let's yeah let's move on to abominable abominable I, I, I shouldn't have had you, you know, taken lead yeah, on this to, movie if you can't even say the title. I'm you sorry. go for it, man. Uh, no, no, no. I can't oh, yeah. say it. So, I mean, well, you introduce it? We can just call it a... Once we get to the monster, we can just call it a Sasquatch if you want. That's perfect i'll take that but yeah this is a movie that i knew nothing about going into it basically oh me too i just saw yeah. the poster and i was like i'm in this is fantastic poster was kind of yeah i i kind of i had visions in my head of what this movie might be because i did the one thing i knew about this movie the one scene i knew about this movie was the shower scene which gotcha <laughs> you know right because um but the reason i knew that is because joe bob briggs mentions it i think in the episode he did i think on victor crowley because i think he's talking to everybody you know kane hodder all those people about like why nobody does great cinematic shower scenes anymore and someone mentions it might be kane hodder that mentions it and he's like there's a good one in abominable or something like <laughs> and i think maybe i had heard of the movie before that and like kind of knew it so i pictured this as like a throwback to like kind of the 80s early 90s like just cheesy kind of direct-to-video monster movies Which and that's honestly, exactly what it was <laughs> it's exactly that yeah uh, i do have to appreciate this movie for a lot of things because i feel like it does a really good job at giving homage to like the horror tropes and kind of making like fun of it at the same time but also taking it somewhat seriously and yeah this movie took a itself a lot story. more seriously than i thought it would yeah, yeah i was I, expecting I was like, it's hard to make a serious Sasquatch movie because even just, I, mean, I don't even know if they say the word Sasquatch, but the word Sasquatch, it's, it's, I mean, it sounds funny, right? Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's hard to make a, a good, you know, suspenseful, scary movie with this. And I'm not really sure this is good, suspenseful or scary, but they, it's fun. It's, it's, it's fine. Yeah, it's fun. It, yeah. it has its moments. It's like slapstick in the way. <laughs> 
but at the same time, like you said, they do take stuff serious. Like they know exactly what they are. At the mm-hmm. same time, they're like, we're still gonna have fun with it, but we're gonna surprise you in some like cool horror elements that are gonna actually hit, and it's actually gonna like be impactful. And I was like, okay, I see. There you, were a few things I, I really liked you. in this movie. I will say that overall, yeah. this is not my favorite. It's a weird movie to follow up Suspiria with, <laughs> but yeah, it had a few moments that I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. Even from like the beginning shot of this movie, it's just like you see like the the old fashioned couple. This is like the intro of the movie. Let's introduce what the threat is. You see them go outside and they obviously have a dog and you have the flashlight and the shotgun. You're ready. You hear the noises and you see like a dead animal. It's like, oh, what's what's going on? And then you kind of find out there's just this thing standing there and it's just a shadow. And I think mm-hmm. I really appreciate that because this movie, kind of like talking about Jaws, less is more sometimes. Mm-hmm. If you show it right off the bat, it will probably ruin this entire movie because if they yeah. don't show it early, I feel like it helped this movie a lot because when they do show the reveal, it's kind of yeah funny. Yeah, I've I've mentioned that I I always kind of mention that thing specifically with Jaws because Jaws famously you don't really see the shark until halfway through. Right. But like really that I mean Jaws is the classic example because it's like the number one creature feature, right? But re- that really is just creature feature one on one. Honestly, like you watch old fifties alien monster movies and it's like. We have a lot of buildup to the monster, and we might see the monster in the last minute and a half of the movie, and maybe it looks terrible. Like in the case of It Came From... They all have similar titles. I think it's It Came From Outer Space? It Came From Beyond Space? It's something like that. It's a Jack Arnold movie. It's actually really good. It's like, it's really suspenseful. We see like a UFO, but we don't actually see the alien until like the last two minutes. And the alien's like the worst looking thing ever. But because it's a pretty good movie up until that point, it's kind of okay. And that's sort of... the journey. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, don't get me wrong. This movie, it wouldn't have flown quite so well if we didn't see the Bigfoot or the abominable snowman until like literally the last two minutes. Like I feel like then at that point we would have been wasting our time. But like we don't see it for a while, but we still see enough of it. Like we're not. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We get our money's worth with our with with the Bigfoot that we do get to see. And that's one of the things I, I really appreciate with this like creature feature itself is that this creature, this monster that's terrorizing everyone has no fear. Group of people. I don't care. I'm going in. I'm going to kill everyone. It, it's one of those things where it's like, it's a monster that just does not give a fuck. Which well, I and they really specifically appreciate. say at one point, they're like, okay, it's either killing because it's territorial or because it's right. hungry. It's continuing to kill, so it's not hungry, <laughs> you know? Right. Very interesting. I guess what, what happens next, the couple's like hiding inside the cabin, and I don't understand. Did they die? Because I feel like they got cut away before the yeah, main title card came in. Yeah, I, I mean, RIP for think, the dog. I didn't but. think they actually did die, but I guess it's like, yeah, you, you know, they might have. But yeah, the, the woman is Dee Wallace, first of all. And this is one of those, this is a huge thing in horror. I don't know if this is a big thing in other genres, but horror movies love it being self-referential, not just in, in the film itself, like, you know, as you're kind of talking about with like some of the tropes and the cliches, but with casting. This movie very clearly is like, we're casting some of these people because they are horror stars. And Dee Wallace, yeah. she's obviously, she's best known for E.T., but she's in Critters, she's in The Howling, she's in uh, some Rob Zombie movies. Rob Zombie does that, obviously, with the casting thing. And she's not our last familiar face. No, I'm surprised. Uh, I think our main protagonist where's he from because i've seen him in several stuff 
I've seen him in but, Seinfeld. That was distracting okay. me the entire time. I'm like, who is this guy? This guy looks so yeah, yeah. familiar. And I was thinking, is he the guy that isn't Jeffrey Combs from Reanimator? But I'm like, no, it's not him. And then I looked him up, and it's like, oh, he was Lloyd Braun in Seinfeld. Seinfeld. He's in like an episode or two. It's like, oh, I remember that now. Yeah, I think I checked his IMDb credits, and he has like over 120-something. Oh, yeah, I think he's in a it's Police Academy roles. movie or two. Yeah. yeah. And I do appreciate the, the movie title. And it comes in like the thing like graphics yeah. like, comes, yeah, like yeah. swooping in with the blue and the glowing and you just see like pretty much bigfoot's footprint and i just saw that they yeah they don't die they just look at the footprint and a title card yeah <laughs> it's ridiculous in the best way possible oh and i want to say something else about the uh, the credits and i thought this was odd but it says introducing christian tinsley as otis wilhelm and the first thing I saw when oh. I saw the name Wilhelm, I'm like, oh, that's a reference to the Wilhelm scream, which we do hear later in the movie. But oh, yeah, I'm also like, <laughs> in, if you're introducing someone, it's usually a young actor. You know, it's their first movie. Yeah. And then when we meet this Otis Wilhelm guy, I'm like, this guy, this can't be his first movie, right? He's like 40. You know, he's like 45. He's, he's not a young guy. But then I looked him up. This is, might be his first movie as an actor, but he's a makeup artist. And he does the effects for this movie, but he's also Academy Award nominated. He did the makeup for Passion of the Christ of all movies. So wow, there's a there's there's a biblical connection <laughs> with this the, movie. Quite the different story. And this yeah. was not long after that too. So I like to think that he just like Passion of the Christ just came out, you know, or maybe you know the Oscars just happened. He didn't win, and then he gets a call like, "Hey, do you want to do this Bigfoot movie?" And he's like, "I'm in. I'll even act Sign in it." Sign me up, of course. <laughs> essentially it was it's just these two guys going to the cabin for what reason i even forgot like i hate to say it this movie is great but at the same time a lot of the story itself was so ridiculous and kind of forgettable there's barely I kind a of story. forgot yeah i forgot like what all of these characters are doing it's like i don't remember like what the girls were doing there they were just on vacation i think the girls are on a bachelorette party because there's some party. some talk about That's like right. now you're going to be wearing white right and i think they're talking about a wedding right <laughs> But, no, these two, the main guys, Preston, who's played by Matt McCoy, who was Lloyd Braun in Seinfeld, as well as somebody in one of the Police Academy movies, and then Otis Wilhelm, who's his, like, live-in therapist, which... Right. Who's a dick, I like that that's, that that's a role for a man in this movie. That's kind of refreshing. Yeah. Uh, I did not like his character. No, no. <laughs> I didn't like the character either, but I... Except I thought, for the one scene, which we'll talk about later on. I was like... Oh, but, yeah. no, they're specifically going to this location... Because, well, first of all, Preston is, he's in a wheelchair. Yeah. He had an accident climbing. He was climbing a mountain with his wife. His wife died, and he got badly injured to the point of being paraplegic. Not quite, I was going to say quadriplegic. And I think the whole thing is he's visiting the home, or this cabin, I should say. It's not his home. We specifically hear that it's not his home. To, I think, kind of confront or, like, overcome his... Because they're right by the mountain where it happened. I don't know. It's a weird setup. It's it's a weird setup. I'll give you that. It's that hard-hitting, like character development it's like this guy's been through it he's been through trauma he's going back to like solve his issue and then he has to like have this creature killing everyone and it's very if you've ever seen it friday the 13th part 7 is the exact same story come to think of it because that is a little girl well she's not a little girl she's a teenager now but she's visiting the home where she experienced the trauma of using her telepathic abilities to accidentally kill her dad <laughs> um <laughs> but she's there I'm not and then, this movie. <laughs> no well, i'm in so the, the uh friday the 13th series jumped the shark at one point or another and, and it's debatable when that point was but you know we've got right. 
Carrie versus Jason in that movie. So that's you know that's that's pretty good. It's a good time. I mean, yeah. I don't know uh, when this episode is coming out, but right now it's the anniversary of I think the eighth movie where he takes on Manhattan. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which I was like, this is ridiculous. Did you see that one then? This. No, I have to catch up on all my Friday the Thirteenth. Uh, but yeah, essentially they show up at this cabin. I like that there was a big argument about the milk as well. Oh yeah, yeah. It was very strange. It's like oh, because he's allergic. Uh, I I can't. Yeah, it's like did you get like soy milk? It's like no. It's like it's not gonna hurt you. He's like, I'm allergic. He's like, okay, man, I'll be back. It's like it's only thirty minutes. It's like I don't want to be alone. Don't worry, it'll only be thirty minutes. They like had to say that over and over again. Right. I think I think on? the whole I think the point of that is we're setting up Otis as like a dick. I think. And rightfully so, because yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, but at the same time, he went to go get it. Yeah, so it's, it's kind of some a kind of way to do it. Yeah, because it almost like for a moment it seems like we're setting up Preston as the dick, but then it's like no, he's allergic, he could die. So it's like okay, no, it's the other. Guy <laughs> it is a big deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I like how he says like, it's not a big deal. You'll be fine. He's yeah. He just like the most genuine voice looks at him. He's like, but I'm I'm allergic. <laughs> <laughs> he's like all right sounds good we'll get you your fucking yeah this this movie does not exactly excel when we're not in the bigfoot action in a lot of ways yeah and, and this is a very interesting cabin i do like the design of it too because it shows that there is a lot of obstacles he has to go through if he mm-hmm. wanted to go inside or outside because being in a wheelchair that kind of yeah limits that's what a good he point do. and i do like that there's a lot of like mementos throughout the house too where it's like mm-hmm. he sees a picture of his wife there yeah kind of like touches it like sees the dust rub off like it's been a while since someone's been in there so mm-hmm. it shows that the past trauma has stayed with him for such a long time to actually get him back out there to like deal with this i do appreciate that at least there is some type of character development i think he's kind of the only one that does get i, I i'm kind of disappointed with how the women are depicted in this movie we haven't even gotten to the women but like yeah. he gets a decent amount he gets enough i think character development like it's not great storytelling or great characterization but it's you know it's certainly good enough for what the movie is i guess i do also like to appreciate like all of the close-up shots of everyone's face just to show their emotion for way too long <laughs> <laughs> you just see like the guy driving off in the car and he's just like looking at him from afar you just just see his reaction of just open mouth and awe, just being alone like i don't want to be here it's one of those things that i feel like the director knows exactly what they're doing i feel like it's just one of those things really like, because yeah, i'm not sure right? be i know recording. but okay the way it's shot it, it shows like it just cuts back and forth with just random stuff and then it goes right back to his face of how he's reacting mm-hmm. i feel like that's a very stylistic thing to do and i think it's very unconventional or i feel like it's very like tropey of b horror movies but that's this isn't exactly what you're talking about but what's that thing it's like a um it's some kind of test where it's like i think it might be like a freud thing but it's like you you have a camera on a man who's got a blank expression Uh and then the camera cuts to like a bowl of food and then the camera (laughs) cuts back to him and he still has no expression but you still kind of understand what the emotion is through the editing oh interesting i don't know yeah i don't know if that's freud and i don't remember the name of it but that's just that's (laughs) not quite what we were talking about but just the way you were just the way you were talking about it kind of reminded me of that i mean it's almost the same concept though it's like well except the actor is actually showing emotion i mean we gotta give him some credit so it's really not the same but yeah these girls start driving up in this fucking beautiful jeep with flames on it red 
got to happen. Mm-hmm. You kind of get their characters off the bat just being like rowdy girls, party, we're like ready to go all out this weekend. These are and Friday the 13th characters, basically. Yeah. They treat them as like not too smart of characters, which kind of no. sucks. I mean, we do get our like final girl at the end, which we'll talk yeah. about, but you don't really get a main character out of all of them immediately no from them yeah no we yeah. don't because preston's our main character yeah really preston's the one that's like looking at them he's like oh there goes my peace and quiet yeah and... yeah he's you know I'm like i don't know maybe i mean i was thinking like that th- that's not the reaction i would expect from a movie like this usually like a movie like this a bunch of young women young attractive women show up next door to like a weird older guy he's going to be like excited but i guess you know it's with in tune with this character he's grieving you know, his wife, the loss and his, of his wife and stuff. Yeah, like that. Yeah. So it's like, okay, yeah, this is, this is making sense. It's just a little, it's not what I would expect <laughs> from like a B horror movie, I guess is what right. I'm saying. And that's why I, I appreciate this movie for taking itself seriously sometimes mm-hmm. because they do show that they care about the story itself. They put in the effort to get those scares as best as they can be. But at the same time, they know the concept itself is ridiculous. Yeah, I think that's a good way to describe it. And it's, it's just something like, we're just going to have fun with this movie, but at the same time, we're going to put our effort into it. Mm-hmm. The only downside I would say is maybe the girl characters like we were talking about. They kind of Yeah, but even, I mean, lines. not that this excuses it, but you could even kind of say that, that, that these girls kind of being underwritten is itself kind of a, trope. a, a horror trope. I mean, exactly. They don't subvert it really, unfortunately. So, but you know, there's that argument yeah. to be made, I guess. As much as a B horror movie as it is, it works so well. And I have to say, like throughout the entire runtime, I was, still, I was having fun with it. But I do find it weird that he kept on like staring at them from like the porch for way too long. Yeah, he, he, he didn't seem aware of how creepy, creepy that would he look. Was, yeah. <laughs> he probably should have been more self-aware there. And I feel like this movie is a lot of just staring at each other and trying to reach out and have a conversation with them and stuff like that. Yeah. What's the main girl's name? Do you have oh, it? Oh god, I don't think I know any of their names. No, that's fair. But they share like a cute moment where it's like she drops something on the ground and she kind of gives a wave to him and he Oh, Amanda. Back. I think it's Amanda. Amanda. I'm just looking at Wikipedia. There's an Amanda, there's a CJ. There's a Michelle. There's always a CJ. <laughs> is there? Is that a name? No, that I'm comes kidding. Up that, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but it's like those traditional girls that we see in all these movies. Like you said, yeah. these are the Friday the 13 girls. These are the girls that just get rowdy. They're the ones that are going to get, like, you know, not slaughtered, but like killed off easily mm-hmm. and stuff like that, too. But you said Sarah, right? No, I said Amanda. No, sorry, Amanda. <laughs> I'm supposed to think about the last movie. Yeah, the last movie. Um, but Amanda <laughs> and uh, they share a nice moment. There's still like that kindness of like, oh yeah, I just dropped my bag. I just realized that you're staring at me. But instead of taking that in the weird context way, I'm going to wave back and then he waves and there's like that, that cute mm-hmm. moment of connection that puts off like, I guess, something deeper than just random characters on the screen, which I also yeah, appreciate for this movie. There's a hint of a connection between these and not, not like a previously formed connection, but a hint that like if these two ever were to come in contact and actually talk to each other that maybe there'd be some kind of connection there and i don't mean like a romantic thing but there's right. you know there's they, they shared the moment where it's like they can actually communicate something afterwards which makes sense because they're the ones that are going to be at like the end of this movie for the most part and we don't really get any other interactions with the other girls even with each other we get some minor conflicts it's like there's one of them's like party. smoking weed in the bathroom that's tr- true yeah. And then doesn't share it with her friends. That was weird. <laughs> she like throws it in the she toilet. Was when, it. Yeah. When she yeah, and I'm like, <laughs> like what? That's again not what I expect from a movie like this. 
it's one of those things like they're just all hanging out. They're having margaritas. They're having the time of their life. Right, right. Nightfall starts to kick in. We start to see like the beauty of like the whole entire environment. And the woods look great. I feel yeah, like they I did want to say that. This I just love the location here. I like I mean, movies set in the woods, you know, if if you're dealing with like a maybe not a B movie, but like a a C movie, there's a lot of movies that <laughs> yeah. are just like, you know, someone like you or me just shoots something in a woods, you know, get some friends together. And those are just like awful. But I like movies with at least a little bit of a budget that are made on a professional scale in the woods. I, I, I just like I do like the woods as a location as a, you know, it's because when it's dark, you can kind of imagine anything is out there, especially with the tall trees and stuff that hide a lot. And then just like the feeling of isolation without really, you know, it's isolation, but it's not emptiness. There's there's always something to see on screen. Yeah. And the nice thing about this movie, too, it's not too dark. You can actually see everything. Oh, yeah. And... I actually really enjoyed the lighting of the scene when Bigfoot attacks three people who are just kind of camping or they're not camping right. they're just kind of hanging out i i like the lighting of that scene i thought that was a good way of like we can see everything clearly but it still conveys that it's you know it's night and they're out by like a fire like i, I, I thought it was pretty good and i like that the context is already put on there it's like he tries for the phone phone doesn't work then we see the girls with the cell phone and she's having a lot of trouble talking to her boyfriend or whatever the guy is and they're trying to like talk and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So she goes downstairs. She gets a little bit of reception, but it's not really good. And then we get that <laughs> great attack, I guess, if you can call it that, <laughs> uh, where pretty much you just see something fly by and she's gone. <laughs> yeah. It's like with the binoculars checking like the whole situation out, uh-huh. which is still on the little creepy side, but at the same time. Fuck it. Why not? Well, it's a rear window homage in in, in its right. own way with him in the wheelchair. But yeah, it's like um. No, it's just funny because it's like one of those clean editing moments where he like cleans the binoculars and you just hear a whooshing sound. Yeah. And you see trees moving and she's gone and the phone's like on the ground. So like I said, less is more. Yeah, great. less is more. But this is also like I don't. I mean, it's it's the first real attack scene, I guess. So it's like we don't really need to see a lot. And 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 the whole point is that they don't know she's attacked and killed. They think she's missing. So I guess you know. Right. It starts to create that mystery of like, yeah. what happened? There's something that's going on that's wrong. Um. And like I said, I love the use of like the lighting in this. He has the flashlight, sees the cell phone on the ground, and he's just looking around, and it's just like the most random, like just trees moving. Mm-hmm. Which and you all, you also mentioned too. We established the the phone situation pretty early, and that's good. That's good that they get that out of the way because that's the thing. Even though this is a movie that's homaging, you know, cheaper kind of horror movies of the eighties and nineties, they didn't have to worry about that thing. It was right. it was perfectly acceptable. Like no one would have a way to call someone if they're just out in the woods. Here, it's like yeah, everybody has cell phones. This is two thousand six. Yeah. I mean, cell phones were, I don't know if smartphones were around at that point, but everyone had a cell phone. I think right. that might be like right before smartphones, but like everyone had the Motorola razors were big and that kind of thing. Oh, I'm pretty sure the girl had a Nokia. So she was yeah, Well, okay. <laughs> well, I mean, this came she out in 2006. Maybe it's shot earlier. Who knows? But yeah. <laughs> yeah, Nokia. Well, and Nokia's always work too. That's yeah. the thing. That, that could be used as a weapon. I know. They should have fought Bigfoot <laughs> with it. <laughs> I was about to say that. I mean, soon after, this is where we get our like great reveal of bigfoot's face with like yeah. glowing yellow eyes and he's grabbing his wheelchair wheels very slowly going backwards i thought that was pretty funny and it's just like an over-the-top expression of his face going backwards into the back inside the cabin i think it worked well i think it doesn't look terrible but it's not great but 
Which yeah, is no, I think that's like. how I'm going to describe most of the Bigfoot action we get. You know, it's it's any kind of Bigfoot costume is going to look kind of ridiculous. But I think this movie shoots it in a way where it's not as ridiculous as it could be, I guess, is, is really what where I would land on that on the fence there. Yeah, and it's funny how they use technology because he still has like computer access, which fine, I'll believe it. I'm, he, I think he said something about like, oh yeah, we have satellite. It's connected to the satellite. I was like, man, I don't even have that good internet where I'm at. <laughs> it's like, okay, sounds good. But he can email the police, which he does. But I like that he's immediately in combat mode. He's already like thinking stuff out. He's moving around. He's like making action, which I really appreciate that in the character. But at the same time, it's like, where's your boy? He said he'd be back in 30 minutes. It's yeah. nighttime already. <laughs> yeah. It's like, where's your milk? And then he shows up and we get our first kind of like jump scare because he like puts his hand on his shoulder. He has the milk. He has the bag. He's like, oh, God, you fucker. <laughs> but it was, it was a funny moment. This movie had a lot of funny moments. Yeah. Even though like, I, I don't know if I'd call this a full on horror comedy because I think for the most part, the horror was treated seriously for the most part. But yeah, it's it's a movie that's that has a sense of humor that it's, it's a movie that very much knows what it is. And so it's going to throw in some, I mean, that's what that shower scene is all about. That is that movie knowing what the movie is, I guess, really. <laughs> it's like, we're going to have this because it's a horror movie that should have this. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's not as, actually, it, it might be as bad as Jack Frost. I don't know. Well, I don't remember Jack Frost that well. The Jack Frost shower scene is something else, but yeah, no, I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to focus on the shower scene. It's just... <laughs> but yeah, essentially he comes back and it's kind of funny. He like pulls out a, like a liquor bottle and he's like smiling. And he's happy that he has like alcohol. <laughs> and while his friend is just trying to tell him, it's like, no, something's wrong. There's a girl that's missing. It's like, hey, you know what? In a little while, if she's still missing, we'll figure it out. and We'll talk to the girls and stuff like that. Again, setting up the character to be kind of like the douchebag. Doesn't really yep. care about him. He's not doing his job of why he's there too. Obviously, right. he's yeah. supposed to be helping him out with a lot of trauma and stuff. And he's kind of having a like a getaway vacation. Yeah, it's a vacation a for bottle. him. He doesn't. He doesn't care. But he gets upset at him too for like bringing up stuff. It's like, no, don't worry about it. But he does have one redeeming scene. Which yeah, he does. Best. He absolutely does. Essentially, they open the door. He's trying to check everything out. He sees that there's a bunch of stairs that he can't go down by himself. Mm -hmm. So him himself feels kind of trapped and can't really do anything too, which also creates a great element for a horror movie of just being I hate to say it, but like helpless in a way and you're trying to be as helpful as possible. Yeah. Earlier in the moment, uh, in the movie, he was trying to like yell at them and even the girl kind of pops her head out of the window. It's like, what are you looking at, you perv? And like closes the yeah, blinds. Yeah. So he's like, he's trying his best so so even if like earlier what we were talking about like he didn't seem to be aware of what just kind of like watching them it lo looks like for him the movie's aware of it though yeah. so that's good yeah it's good i mean you give a guy binoculars and across the street to another cabin full of girls and he's trying to communicate them women who are much younger than him of course it, it brings a lot of dynamic to it though as simple as the story is the movie is actually kind of complex there's a lot of elements to this movie that causes a lot of conflict for the main character to try to overcome. He's got his trauma. He's got yeah. the situation where he looks like the creepy guy. He has the <laughs> wheelchair. Uh, he has a friend that's not helping him out who's getting drunk. Uh, there's a creature. There's a lot of conflict for this main sure, character yeah. that he has to overcome. And someone that's in his position gives him a lot of power because we have this protagonist that we want to win, which is pretty inspiring. I love that. You're, you, what, what I'm getting from that is you're saying this could be a horror movie even if you take away Bigfoot. We could still have some, maybe not a horror movie, but we still have a movie. There's conflict. Yes, 100%. 
I like movies like this where it like it has layers to it. Even though it's aware of what it is and how ridiculous it is, it still wants to present the best story it can. And yeah. Then we get a lot of good horror elements. So like the next scene, we have our hunters surrounded by the campfire, and they're all like talking shit to each other, and they're like, "Oh, did you hear that?" It's like, "I didn't hear anything." Shut the fuck up. <laughs> like some like weird banter going on. It's like, "No, really, I heard something." He's like, "I didn't hear anything." He's like, kept on saying, that. "I was like, dude, just relax." Wait, is this the scene where we're talking about the same scene with Jeffrey Combs where he's a chain smoker yeah. even though he's hooked up to oxygen? Yeah. And I like that too. All of the characters are really off the walls. Yeah, there's funny little yeah. character dynamics, even for the side characters. And in that I appreciate that with like especially if you're gonna throw like someone like Jeffrey Combs in this, who like we all know Jeffrey Combs is in here because he's in Reanimator. He's in here because of his previous horror movies. I like that they give him something to do. It's not a just a cameo. Right. And granted, I would like to, to see it. see him do more because I think he's a pretty good actor, but like it's it's not well, A, he's in more than one scene because we see him earlier which was i thought that might be it and i was really disappointed but like no he like comes that's back. it that's the end but i do appreciate this and lance hendrickson's here too there's there's a lot of good cameos in here yeah lance hendrickson from uh Pumpkinhead and the terminator and aliens like all he's in like he's a james cameron regular so yeah and i do appreciate this being a really good horror scene and that's the cave scene goes oh, into yeah. the cave with the shotgun you see the flashlight and we run into our our blonde girl, where I don't know her name, but now we know what happened to her. She got taken. She got mm-hmm. taken to this entire cave, and they actually show a lot of good body gore, where yeah. it kind of just shows her intestines sticking out, and she has genuine fear in a really good performance about mm-hmm. saying, like, don't leave me here. It's going to come back. Yeah, <laughs> and again, this is the um, the effects of Christian Tinsley, the Passion of the Christ guy, who plays our least <laughs> yeah. favorite character that's so of funny. Otis Wilhelm. Yeah, that's very interesting to think about. The connection between that we get this great scene where like we've all seen it before it's like we hear the creature come back and she gets dragged away but it looks great but at the same time it's kind of comedic and he's like oh my god and all you hear is like gunshots in the background while we're back with his friends it's like it's coming and they just all fire into the forest mm-hmm. which is kind of ridiculous at the same time but kind of cool like i said this creature does not care about groups of people with guns it's just going to come at you and take you out one by one and it's exactly that and i appreciate that it makes the threat level that much more intense yeah it's kind of like there's a scene like this in predator the arnold schwarzenegger movie when because they have no idea where the predator is so they're just like shooting blindly out and and it's these like guys that are just terrified they're overwhelmed by this horror that they're confronting this is a little bit like that a little bit yeah and it works it works for this movie it keeps you a little bit on like the edge a little bit too and that's why i like about this movie it's not a throwaway movie they do no absolutely i would have thought it was i really would have thought it was and i've even kind of joked about it like it is because at the end of the day it's a sasquatch movie it is and it's not you yes, can't take it's this bold. movie too seriously. No, and as a viewer, yeah. you have to go in and just turn your brain off watching this movie. And I think a lot of people would have a lot of fun with this. Have you ever seen the Hatchet movies? Any of them? Uh, the first one, but way back when. I don't even remember it. Because I was thinking this movie could have been Hatchet, which Hatchet is basically an excuse for over-the-top gore and horror movie cameos. You know, Tony Todd. Uh, Tony Todd's great. John Carl Beekler. No, Tony, Tony Todd's awesome, but like, yeah. there's a lot of just cameos. All of the Hatchet movies have like all of those. Uh, Felissa Rose is actually really good in the uh, the fourth one, but or maybe the third one. I don't remember. But this this movie, like when I saw the cast, I'm like, oh, this is going to be a Hatchet thing. And I, for the record, I kind of hate the Hatchet series because I just, 
find mm-hmm. like that's like that's all it is is like homage and not not even to the point of like parody or like genuine satire but i just kind of find those movies exhausting because it's like yeah it's this actor that i'm familiar with from these other horror things but are they going to do anything neat no okay and then it's just like this over the top blood and gore like really over the top like here we don't have anything we have some really kind of nasty moments actually but um nothing Mm. you know gore wise there's gore it's not over the top certainly not to a comedic way well there's one part that's kind of silly but there's a few parts really neat and then like yeah the actors every every actor working in this movie seems committed to making this as a you know a a semi-serious horror movie that you know they're gonna have some fun with it obviously just with the premise and everything but yeah yeah, you I, put I, the nail right on the head. I think I'm they glad just had a lot of fun. This was not a hatchet. <laughs> I think they had a lot of fun making this movie, and it shows on the screen. You can right. tell that they all wanted to have fun with it. And essentially, he gets the idea of like, oh, let me use technology again with using my computer to text them, which was very interesting because he uses like the online phone book. Don't know if that's still a thing, but he <laughs> yeah, out the girl's yeah, name. <laughs> I like how it's like the flashback. He like listens to their name in the background. It's like, oh, that's her name. I'll yeah. do my detective work. Sends them the text message. They kind of like blow it off. It's like, she's missing? Oh, what are we going to do? Let's go. Or let's go back upstairs. And that's what constantly a uh, little bit of conflict between them as characters and like the other person's like just wants to go back inside because she's scared the other person wants to go out in the woods and find her but we start getting those like great stalker shots of the creature looking at them and always love i felt that. like i always love that stuff i thought they were gonna get killed right then and there but they didn't which was kind of funny even him he had like predator vision in the way it was like this like yeah they did something vision. weird with the yeah it looked like uh yeah like an eye just like staring at them and it's like yellow eyes so you get that yellow orangey tint to it Mm -hmm. which i think works really well uh you have our hero trying to like wave them down they're not paying attention they all go back inside we just have our great nice therapist that's supposed to be there for his boy passed out on the couch drunk (laughs) and i just felt bad it's like one of those things is like you're supposed to be there to help someone through trauma and you're not doing that for you yeah so there's some emotional weight to it and then he pretty much does there, more there research. is, but I also think the movie's trying to... I, I agree that there's certainly an emotional impact for Preston, for the main character, but I, I do think the movie is... Otis is very much a comic relief character. You know what I mean? He is. He, yeah, so he it's cuts like, attention. Yeah. And he continues to do that. I mean, he starts doing some research. He looks at the interview of like these two professionals talking about bigfoot and saying like how it's a creature of habit and stuff like that he starts to learn more about it and it's a great like little detective stuff little scene Mm -hmm. in there again the territorial or it kills because it's territorial or it kills because it's hungry it's one of the two becoming professional himself on the matter to like figure everything out and he starts looking at them and then this is when we get that scene the shower scene yeah you know we had to get here yeah very prolonged very long in general uh and then we get his friend in the binoculars too and kind of like admires like oh so this is what you've been looking at yeah i and i i like that too because that's like the the contrast of the two characters preston is like he doesn't want to be seeing this woman right in the shower he's looking for the bigfoot he's looking for other stuff but then he sees this and then Otis is like, oh, yeah, buddy, come on. You know, don't be ashamed. We got to watch this. And then when Otis turns away and then Bigfoot pulls the woman through the window, which is a really neat it was effect, a very creative actually, kill. where she's like yeah. bent. Yeah, that's pretty cool. 
he's like, oh my God. <laughs> and then, um, because then he's, he's seeing that and that's why he's looking. But, you know, Otis is just like, oh yeah, a naked woman. All right. Right. And he doesn't believe him. And he gets so angry to the point he's about to sedate him. Yeah. And I was like, okay, this escalated way too far. A little far. extreme. We we're going yeah. to nurse ratchet here. Right. And then he's able to overcome it and actually get him in the neck with the syringe. So he passes out in the funniest way possible too. It's like, man, you really got me. Why would you do that? Slowly falling backwards and drops and still, I, I, I kind of hate it. It got to my ter- uh, nerves where the syringe was still in his neck when, oh, while he was yeah, falling I down. Because I was like, oh man, that could just be bad in general. But I mean, that's a cool fact that you just kept it in there. But sure, why not? And then we get this really funny scene of him looking outside. And he just like becomes face to face with the, the Yeti, with the Sasquatch just looking back at him. And he just falls backwards and basses out. Why was that a scene in this movie? It did not happen. It did not need to happen. But he pretty much That's a good moment up. if it's like not your protagonist. That's a good moment. I think if it's like a... um. I mean, you can have it be kind of comedic, but it can be like your scare if that's like a... a it happens to like a random person and then the Bigfoot kills them. I think it's weird that right. it happens to like a main character. And nothing happens after it. Yeah, they, yeah, that's that's where I was going with that because and, there and the feels like there like, should be more after it. Yes. Right. It's like you were over there with them, pulled a girl out of the window and then you just wanted to hop over next door, say hi, and then go back to the girls again. Sure, yeah, why you not? Know, he's... Hey, he, he's a friendly guy too. He wants to make sure there's other people to kill afterwards. I do appreciate this line though. He goes to the kitchen, pulls a knife, looks at it just throws it and he's like i'm gonna need a bigger knife it's like oh, <laughs> is that a callback to i'm gonna need a bigger boat for uh jaws gotta be <laughs> it's like or or it's a crocodile dundee reference perhaps you familiar with that one that's true too yeah yeah <laughs> but i like how he just like chucks it he's like nah it's not gonna work better than nothing but we learn he has multiple weapons later on too which is funny starts pulling out his ice pick also still going on the internet trying to reach the girls and the girls are freaking out at this point. He finally gets in contact with them. They still don't really believe him. And then we get this great action sequence where he just goes into their house and starts like killing all of them. Or yeah. at least at this point, there's three girls left because there was five previously. So yeah, out the window. Five. Yeah, the that's right. I was taken. thinking there were four, but no, you're right. And we get this really weird creative kill of the girl being upstairs and he's downstairs and kind of hears her and just like mm-hmm. rips her through the floor. Okay. I'll take it. That's something I've never seen before. And I'm... well, it's like it's like if you know the Hulk were like a slasher villain, right? You know, <laughs> just this big buff thing. It's like, yeah, I want to see him do some kind of stupid <laughs> things where he just shows off how big and strong he is. Yeah, it's great. I mean, that's a good way to put it. It's it's a creature feature of Hulk in here, a hundred percent, because we do get this really great scene of them going back outside, and he kind of like just stomps one girl down, and. It's kind of brutal. I'll give it that. I was like, damn, this is a very intense scene. Yeah. Where you used to see this girl's like body on the ground. And this is when we get the full entire body of the abominable um, Sasquatch, essentially. <laughs> we, we get his whole like look and everything. And it's uh, not the best, but it's, it's not passable. the worst. I, it's I do passable. think it's passable. It's, it's, again, for a direct movie. video movie in 2006... You know, I didn't even know they made direct-to-video movies back then in 2006, you know. It's like, I think this is, you know, this could have aired on sci-fi. This would be better than most things that aired on the sci-fi network, right? Isn't sci-fi the one that shows, like, Sharktopus and that stuff? Oh, yes. Yeah, so this is a lot better than that stuff. This reminded me of a mixture of, like, Sharknado, which was very self-aware of what it was, and Gremlins, for some reason. Two completely different movies. This 
Don't know why. Leans closer to Gremlins, I would say. I mean, I I get yeah. the Sharknado thing. I yeah, I sort of understand what you mean, but or like they 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 understand the tropes and stuff like that, and they yeah, play it this... off exactly how it is. Yeah. But at the same time, it feels a lot like a fun, entertaining movie like Gremlins that also does the tropes and stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. I I sort of understand. Essentially, main girl meets main guy. They link up together. They go to the cabin and they come up with this like great plan to put like some raw meat in front of the door and pretty much trap it and then try to see if they can kill it and then for whatever reason they kind of throw that plan out the window and they're like nope we should get a harness and we'll lower you down and we'll lower me down and kind of escape through his car i think doesn't really work out but right before she gets pulled up by the bundle abominable i hate this word so <laughs> the much. yeti the yeti the, the monster yeti, the monster starts pulling her up using the harness which i thought was a really good tension filled scene and i was like cool i can i can vibe with this uh but at the same time like what he was saying it's like oh just unclip that's all you have to do mm-hmm. and there's multiple times she had to do that but there's a great scene where our homeboy is awake has an axe otis yeah. what the line was oh I, I got the line i found the line Hey, ass monkey, eat this. Great fucking line. It's a good one. And then, of course, true to his word. He ate this. Yes. Which was his and face. It looked great. Well, first of all, I mean, he gets the axe in his back, which is pretty great. Yeah. But when he eats his face, this is like kind of funny, but it's also it's a really neat effect. And it's awesome. It is. It's like the Bigfoot. It looks good. His, his jaw like expands like a snake, which is so cool. Like his his mouth opens up wider than you would expect it to to be. Or it's like that. Um, there's a something in Krampus that's kind of like that. Oh yeah, yeah. Is that the clown? Yeah, probably. The Jack in the Box clown one. Krampus too well, but yeah, probably the clown. It's not the gingerbread man, so it's got to be something. Right? <laughs> that's cool. Yeah. But yeah, and then he bites off his face. It's great. And, and I think if you're um, Christian Tinsley, I think you probably have the most fun designing makeup effects i mean he's not the only one doing effects here but he is among the team uh he's probably having the most fun designing his own death and i think that kind of comes through in this in this movie because this this is the the most fun moment in the movie for me yeah and i have to say it does look really good i i think this is like probably one of the strongest moments of this movie because i didn't know they were going to take it there and they took it there and i was surprised how good it looked yeah because it's appropriately horrific it's legitimately good looking but it's silly and funny too it's like it's kind of the movie as a whole really yeah this entire sequence of just like this this is the movie at its best right here this and then you just see that it's like ah so good absolutely but two main characters are down on the so ground. he redeems himself and then gets his all face the shitty moments out the window off. yeah so i mean that's a good way to redeem yourself i guess well he redeems himself in two ways because his death is so awesome too that yeah. it like elevates the movie a bit too yeah it's like oh, i don't like you as a character but then i kind of like you <laughs> right at yeah. the very end with that line it was cool it was a cool moment but of course the whole sequence of like oh i can't get the key inside a car and like yeah. use the ignition and it's not working properly they finally got it and then they crash into a tree like this is all stuff that we've seen before but at the same time it just works for the movie i love how incredibly strong this thing is too you could just like pick up cars and like throw cars like nothing sure why not <laughs> exactly why not and then they're able to pin down the yeti to a tree and try to crush it as much as possible and we get this sweet moment of him crawling up to her body and she's like oh where is this like oh it's it's over there it's dead i killed it and it's like a really weird romantic scene or i feel like 
I felt it like that. Where is this coming from? It's, yeah. You know, was, in my mind, it's like, this movie is ridiculous in the best way possible. I, I think it kind of came off as romantic, but going back to like the moment those two shared early in the movie when they like kind of look at each other the first time, it's like, is there like, is it maybe it's just like a connection? Because yeah, I think it's just a connection, you know, because because I mean, yeah, he's lost his wife, but he's also like what we know of him. The only person in his life is this nurse guy who hates him or at least hates working with him. I mean, like he's missing companionship of any kind, really. That's fair. That's a good observation. And I think it's that genuine connection where it felt funny but at the same it was like very sweet and wholesome too it was a very good wholesome yeah there's a yeah but i but i do i do agree that it came off a bit as romantic over the top really it's it's just like we're the two final people survived and we're like sharing this moment together and the blood on her face kind of looked really cool with the lighting of like snow slowly falling down as well and then we get like the cops and ambulance on scene and that's really cool you can see the snow starting to fall some more uh i don't know how you feel about this ending but I love it where we see like the cops going into the woods mm-hmm. and they see the car. Yeti's gone. I was like, oh, nice. I kind of saw that coming. But what yeah. I did not <laughs> because see Because you've coming, seen a horror movie before. Yeah. But what I did not see coming is when they look out to the distance, you see the orange yellowish eyes and then you see a bunch more orange yellowish eyes saying like there's a lot more out there. Yeah. And I felt like I... that's hilarious. But at the same time, awesome. I'm all yeah, for it. it's 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 good. I, I I don't say I I love it, but I mean it's a good. And then you know people out there will be like, oh, it's sequel bait. No, it's not. It's just it's it's a. I mean, it, there maybe a they finish? tried to make a sequel. I don't oh, know. It's my knowledge there isn't a sequel, but it's like you can end on that. Like it's a it's a stinger of an ending. I think it's you know it's a good one. I, whether or not there's a sequel after this, and like I said, I don't believe there is. <laughs> um, it's yeah, it's a pretty effective ending. Yeah that's that movie i mean that's abominable uh, i'll say it for you <laughs> it is it's, it's that that one word it's that yeah there we go and i don't know how how do you feel about the whole movie itself well you know what i mean i think you converted me a bit I, when early coming into oh, this you didn't like it no 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 okay. I, I i i was just i was on the fence i could have been swayed i think either way but talking about it here with you it's like you've pointed out some of the ways in which it's maybe smarter is not the right word but like a more emotional film than i was initially yeah, kind of giving it credit for yeah yeah just a more yeah. mature i mean it's hard to say a movie's mature yeah. when there's that shower scene and the guy gets his face bitten off i mean in the hate ass monkey sign but the movie's mature enough so right. i so i think i i could have really gone either way with this because i you know i've only seen this movie once now but like yeah i'm gonna say i enjoyed it i don't love it by any means but the movie knows what it is and I appreciate it for what it is. It's, it's the it's the throwback to the 80s, 90s kind of cheap, low-budget movie that I didn't know. You know, I didn't know those movies still existed. I mean, this movie's 15 years old now. But yeah. um, but it's also so much better made than those movies. And I don't I don't mean like Gremlins. I'm talking like the uh, I don't know, like the Puppet Master series and movies like right. that. Like this this movie's better made than Demonic Toys. No, yeah, there's a lot of effort I went into this, and absolutely you can tell. And it's very campy. And like I said earlier, I feel like everyone in the cast and the director just had fun with this movie. And it translates it through the screen. I was having fun with it as well. This movie is a 10 out of 10. Now that oh, wow. being said, right. I will never watch this movie again. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> I don't think I could. I think I'm, I, it's like a one, it's like a, it's a thrill ride, right? You go on the roller coaster, you had fun, but it's like, I'm good. I don't have to do that again. I mean, I, I'm a bigger roller coaster fan than you apparently, but no, I, uh, <laughs> Fair enough. the likelihood that I'll watch this movie again, I'll admit it's not high, but I'm not ruling it out. 
Wow. Okay. Fair enough. You know, is it, just if it if I forget to remove it from my to be watch list, and I'm thinking of like, okay, what movie should I watch as I'm going to bed? And I go through my to be watch list. And I'm like, oh yeah, Abominable. That movie was all right. Yeah. <laughs> so I might see it again. <laughs> I, would, I might. If I would see this movie, I'd watch it with a friend just to see yeah. the reaction. This oh, is definitely yeah. one that you okay. would share. Yeah. yeah. No, this is a this, but I do think that's the right environment. Not necessarily just seeing someone's reaction, but this is a good movie. You know, sit down with a, a friend or a group of friends have a few beers or something. I think this is a right. good movie for that kind of thing. That yeah. kind of um, social interaction that has been sorely missing for such a long time now with the yeah, pandemic. Yeah. You could definitely make this like uh, a drinking game <laughs> for sure somehow. It's like any cringy or campy moment. You take a Every shot. every trope, take every a time a one of the tropes, yeah. it comes up. You just have a list or like a bingo card thing. Oh, that's, yeah. Do like yeah. a horror trope bingo. That'd be a lot of fun. Drink every time Jeffrey Combs smokes a cigarette, even though he's hooked up to oxygen. I don't think that's a horror trope, but it's it's a great it's a fun one. detail. Yeah, that's that movie, and I love it. <laughs> that's, I'm, that's I almost tried to say the name. <laughs> All right, so Freddie, which of these two movies, Suspiria or Abominable, do you prefer? Suspiria. Okay. <laughs> to be honest, yes. Yeah, no, it's just a better, well done movie overall. It's something that's going to stick in my mind for a while. I'm still thinking about it every so often just because of how gorgeous it looks and how it made me feel. I feel like I could definitely rewatch it multiple times and still appreciate it. And that first time viewing just like stole all of my expectations because I had really high expectations already coming into it. Because you've heard being of it. A you've, movie, you know the movie's so reputation. Powerful. Yeah. And that could always hit or miss for some people. It's like going into a movie with a lot of high expectations can make you not like that movie because you expected more from it. Absolutely, yeah. That was how I I was I was let down the first time I saw Hereditary. It wasn't until the second time I saw it that I'm like, wow, this movie's great. It right. was like the first yeah. time I saw it, I had heard so much about it. I'm like, kind of let me down. Honestly, but Honestly, no, that's what took me such a long time to great. watch... Uh, Midsommar. Oh, okay. For that same okay. reason, I didn't see Midsommar until this year, and because we had to, we had to do it for the podcast, and I was like, "Cool, this is my time to actually finally like, go into it, watch it fully through," and I really appreciated it for what it was. But I feel like if I saw it back when it was super popular, I probably wouldn't have liked it. Interesting. But I feel like because the buzz kind of died down a little bit, I know it's very like people are always talk about the quote unquote elevated horror, which I hate that concept in general, but. Yeah, art house uh, horror, whatever people. Right. Yeah, the uh, like, oh, what's worth the post horror like is that. another term I've heard thrown around with things like that. Huh. With uh, it comes at night, stuff like that. Right, very art house films. Yeah, which is like that's always been around. The Shining just, is that. I mean, and yeah. I said I don't really care for it. It's not because it's that, but that's what The Shining is. You know, that's true. 100%. And it's a horror classic. This movie, Suspiria, is going to stay with me. And I think it, if I were to like think about like a top ten list, would it make it? Probably. Okay. I just really have to think about it. That's high praise. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. for me, because I've seen it a bunch of times, I can definitively say top five horror movies for me. Uh, so, yeah, my, my pick is Suspiria as well. I do prefer Suspiria to Abominable. But Abominable did not let me down. I will say that. And, True. You know, it's, I mean, granted, I, I had no expectations, so I don't know how it really would have let me down. But, you know, I, I, I enjoyed it. So, But Suspiria is it's great. It's a masterpiece. I love, I love 70s horror. I love Italian horror. I love Dario Argento. It's my favorite film by him, even though there's a lot of other movies I love by him. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, the movie feels like a nightmare. 
in the best possible yeah. sense. It looks like this beautiful dream in terms of just the sets, the visuals, but then it's all this nightmare imagery of the blood and the, the gore and all that stuff happening throughout it. So it's like, it's this beautiful fairy tale that's being yeah. punctured that's, by this horrible nightmare, I guess. Yeah. That's the perfect way to describe it. It's like a fantastical <laughs> nightmare. So yeah, that's it. I feel like it's what Tim Burton has been trying to do for like the majority of his career. <laughs> it's gorgeous to look at. Like I said, if there's any listeners that haven't seen it and just heard us talk about it, still go and watch it because you'll still get a great experience out of it. So, Freddie, how do you think this works as a drive-in double feature? I would say it depends on the order. I think it it could work. How would you put it? What what order would make it work, do you think? I think Suspiria would have to go first. Oh, I agree. Yeah. This this is a palate cleanser after Suspiria. And I think it works really well that way. Obviously, when I watched these movies, I saw... I think I saw Abominable first. (laughs) Oh, no. You did it wrong. (laughs) And then Suspiria. Suspiria I saw recently, like two days ago before recording this. Okay, yeah. So very fresh in my mind. And like I said, it it was... (laughs) I I was... not supposed to be doing that, but I was watching it at work. Uh, I had some downtime. <laughs> Fuck it, whatever. <laughs> and it was giving me anxiety, and I was like, "Oh man, I gotta do hella work after this," and I'm really, like anxious. Okay. And it's like, "All right, that's fine." <laughs> it, it's one of those movies where it's just I feel like it has to go first for the content that it gives you, and because it's so soul sucking, <laughs> it's what's coming to mind oh, right now. Wow, okay. It, it like it takes away a piece of you. But at the same time, you really appreciate that. It did uh-huh. No, it yeah, I know. A gorgeous mean. journey. And you mentioned the catharsis we get with the main character at the very end. Correct. But that catharsis yeah. is five seconds. Short lived. You know? Yeah. Very short lived. <laughs> and then it's like it's, it's a tension thrill ride from beginning to start. And then, yeah, the catharsis at the end is very quick, doesn't let you have that moment yes which yeah, kind of sucks exactly. maybe that's my one nitpick other than that i think it's a masterpiece to be honest yeah i i, I agree i think i mean ideally i always talk about this with the whole dr- double feature thing the second movie is usually going to be your more violent your more out there your more crazy movie and in a lot of ways that's suspiria but at the same time suspiria it's just a movie that should be taken more seriously Mm-hmm. You know, then Abominable, I mean, no offense to Abominable, but again, we always talk about Abominable knows what it is. And Abominable as like the um, second feature where, where you're not paying as much attention to it and you're right. just joking around and trying to stay awake because it's 1 a.m. or something. I think Abominable works perfectly for that. It has its moments of fun. It has its moments of tension. Suspiria is mostly tension. And I, yeah. I don't, you don't want to end the night on that necessarily. I, I understand what you mean. Yeah, but does it work as a double feature? I would say so. I yeah, I, I agree. I I, it's surprisingly fun. well. I, these movies yeah. on paper don't really. <laughs> and it's, it's not bad, too. They're both like an hour and a half runtime, three hours. Yeah, yeah. You can knock it out pretty fast. Yeah. Before I announce what we're doing, what, what I'm doing next week, I want to thank Freddie for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. No, I appreciate it. It's an honor. Yeah, and reminder, you are from... Yes, uh, I'm from the Goodnight Movie Club, also from Nightlight, a horror movie podcast under the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Right. Okay. Thank you very much. Absolutely. And um, next week, what my co-host Jim and I will be discussing is going to be two mid-80s sequels to classic films. We've got James Cameron's Aliens starring Lance Henriksen, who appears in Abominable, (laughs) and A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Stay tuned. I mean, as of now, both movies are on HBO Max, but who knows? That could change. So anyways, thanks again, Freddy. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Don't take your revenge out on me too hard next week. Not at all. (laughs) All right.